What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 95th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, are you ready to paint the town red? <laughs> is that a reference to something or yeah. just in general? Clifford. Okay, God, yeah. How did I miss that? Yes, today we will be talking another uh, Tiff Talk where Clifford the Big Red Dog is uh, the prophecy has come true, Eric. Clifford playing the Toronto International Film Festival. All you need now uh, is Venom to play and then it's like, it's perfect. Yes, uh, cinema is back. Um, but today we have two very special guests. Uh, so happy to have them. Uh, very close personal friends of mine. I've known them since the days we all worked at the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, but now they are movie buffs, just like me and you, Eric. They always have been, but now they're writing about it. They're watching shit every night. They're blowing me out of the water because I'm like, they're watching way more interesting shit than I am because I just rewatched the same garbage over and over again, like the MCU or Fast and Furious or something. Uh, but Kevin McGuire and Rihanna Mehta, how's it going, guys? How are you? Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for having us. Like, we're really excited to be here. We're doing doing pretty good. I'm so glad to have you guys. Um, you guys have been watching a metric shit ton of movies over the pandemic, like I just said. And you guys started to write about them. You guys have a monthly article on Eclectish. Is that how I pronounce it? Am I pronouncing yeah, it properly? No, that's correct. Yeah. Um, called I Have to Return Some Videotapes. So, um, First, I, I amazing because I love that. You know that you know I'm the biggest movie guy on the planet. Uh, I just and having other friends <laughs> that I've known for so long get into it too is so. And I know you guys have always loved movies, but when we were all kind of working at the Blue Jays, um, I know we would. Re I remember getting stoned and watching the Lego Movie with you, which was amazing. That was a great. Um, it was a great time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I just tell. How did this all come about um, that you guys kind of as the pan was it just the pandemic starting and you guys needed something to do? And then how did that evolve into writing about it now, too? Yeah. OK, so I can I can kind of feel this one, Kev, if that's cool. All yours. OK, um, <laughs> it kind of started pr just pre pandemic. OK, so I would say that there was a lot of films that were classic or in the canon of film history that I just had not watched. Um Gangster movies are coming to mind, but like Godfather, I hadn't seen. Same. I watched that recently, actually. Goodfellas, yeah. I hadn't seen. Um, and that's kind of just what started it. So we, we actually started with Martin Scorsese. We started with Goodfellas. Yeah. And then it became this routine. It was winter in Toronto, and I didn't want to go out. It was freezing. So we just started it staying and watching movies. And then lo and behold, the pandemic hits. So then we're like, well, there's nothing else to do. Let's just continue this role of watching tons and tons of movies. Um, so what we try to do is we watch on the weekends two a night, I'll pick one and then Kevin picks one. So we kind of get even coverage in terms of choice. Um, and then I had, I had a couple of friends who started this website, Eclectish, or I, I would say a platform because they also have a podcast as well. And nice. you know, the purpose of Eclectish is to really help people re-engage with the internet. It's open to any sort of content. It's not just specifically for movies, like yeah. great um, food review, recurring article on there. Uh, we use that platform for our movie article. Like you said, uh, I have to return some videotapes. So we try to kind of help with movie recommendations for films that people may not have seen or uh, 
we suggest movies that were the ones that we watched for the month that we didn't really like, like maybe just skip this one. It wasn't that. Yeah. So <laughs> usually yeah. my choices. <laughs> no, no. Well, no. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So just an overview of everything you watch and what you suggest and what you don't. That's dope. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. I checked out the last couple that you guys did and I just love seeing that. And um, I mean, it's the, it's my favorite thing in the world, just doing this. And just, I remember, you know, getting into writing after falling in love with movies too and it's just the best and i'm so glad to have you guys here how have you guys been because we talked not recently but like maybe a couple was it a month or two ago again i don't know how time works but like um how are things just in general you guys good yeah things are good i mean no no complaints things are starting to open back up it's been really nice seeing family again yeah again doing things <laughs> i know right have you yeah. guys have you gone to the movies yet or no okay not to the movies yeah we were looking into getting tickets for the screening of bo burnham's inside yeah but yeah. it was pulled out by the time they we- added more shows though so i heard they are adding shows from thursday to sunday now okay and then there might be more because eric and i were going to go on thursday as well but we're seeing snake eyes <laughs> instead on thursday night so you know gi joe origins whoo baby um but then um yeah i saw that i just saw on instagram that they added i think uh, a bunch more shows because i feel like that would be um it's definitely cinema worthy and they'll probably um, sell out as well after jeffrey bezos went to space today so yeah Yeah, you've got got to celebrate it with bezos one and two um yeah i can't wait to come see you guys soon because like now that everything's opening up and we um can actually see friends again um we should hit up a patio or or a movie or something like that vip or something but definitely um, would love, love to do both those Mostly yeah. movie though like i i feel like we don't have a lot of friends who are into movies to the extent that we are so mm-hmm. i was really bummed over the weekend i wanted to watch a movie with my mom and sister and they were like no yeah like, okay. isn't that, i know it's just <laughs> eric <laughs> yeah i know eric and i are attached to the hip because they're the only ones that'll be like a friday morning or a you know sunday night at 10 p.m and we'll go see some garbage or something <laughs> that no one else we went and saw escape room too and god oh god i have a story for you guys i will i won't tell it here you might have seen me on or whatever i I posted about it on uh, on social and stuff but um and i told it in our escape room uh to review um but first day back in the movies just getting in a full-on like some dude yelling at us and like uh calling me a homophobic slur and like it was just the worst but let's back um, yeah, yeah that's exactly it like i'm like i guess i would have it no other way except this guy's a piece of shit um but anyways i don't need to tell that story i uh, wanted to ask of of the films that you've have watched so far in, in in your both of your opinions what have been your favorite and and your least favorite oh okay i think i i came prepared to answer this for <laughs> this question um eric always has the tough hitting questions you know no yeah i would so the movie that i've watched the most over the pandemic and watched for the first time actually just this year i watched it three times already was sunset boulevard nice Hell yeah and I don't know. That movie blew me away in terms of its quality of script, just how modern it felt, even though it was, it's now like 70 years old. Um, the mystery, the surprise at the end was amazing. I don't know. I, I loved everything about it. And I watched it, like I said, twice in June alone. Cause I just couldn't get enough. Yeah. And it's, it's just a very iconic movie. I mean, obviously Billy Wilder, you know, was one of the, the best of the best of that time. And, you know, you look at his career with some like it hot and, you know, double indemnity and the apartment, but there's something about I've that seen all of those movie <laughs> where, 
all amazing. The meta quality of that film works so exactly. well. And like even having sort of, you know, the film that uh, uh, Gloria uh, Stewart didn't make, t- uh, you know, a uh, Queen uh, Queen Mary in the film, like that right. is incredible onto itself. And watching it in 2021, I was just blown away at the meta quality. I couldn't even imagine what it would have been like watching that in 1950. And, I, and I've read all the stories about, you know, people behind the scenes when it was screened for them for the first time, they were angry at Billy Wilder for basically pulling back the curtain of what Hollywood was at the time. And so, I, I, yeah, just an incredible movie through and through for me. Yeah, I mean... Under the same same uh, umbrella, no pun intended. Um, I, I was going to say "Singing in the Rain." Um, same nice. kind of meta quality, uh, a little light, more lighthearted than uh, "Sunset Boulevard," but I would say that one's probably really stuck with me the most, and it's probably it, it's probably my second favorite movie of all time, next to Jurassic Park. Hell so, yeah, dude! Yeah, same favorite movie. Well, the physicality, the physicality in that film also is incredible. Like the By dance the numbers, incredible. yeah, the <laughs> dance, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the T Rex is singing "Dancing in the Rain," it's it's amazing <laughs> stuff. But no, like you watch, you know, Gene Kelly and the way that he moves through a scene. It's just it's almost like a special effect itself. Uh, oh, totally. To yeah, yeah. Like, like Debbie Reynolds' feet were bleeding after um, "Good Morning." Like they were so worked literally to the bone, but I mean, the end product was worth it. Yeah, you me. do it for the art. Was there was there any <laughs> film that you guys watched that maybe you know has been considered a, a, a great film that maybe was maybe a little overrated? I mean, there's always that movie where you watch it and you're like, okay, I get where why it belongs in the pantheon of film and things like that, but me. it's not necessarily my cup of tea. I have one that stands out. I did already bring this up on the Eclectish podcast, but I'm going to say it again because I want to get your opinions on this because maybe I'm just missing something with this movie. But uh, I watched Interstellar for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that one, it did very little for me. I thought it was really beautiful. We got a new TV actually for Christmas and that's why I chose it. I was like, I want to watch something I haven't seen before and that's like stunning. And I, I do think it was really well shot. It was visually very pleasing. But beyond that, it, I had no other connection to the movie. And was it a first time watch when you? you it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never seen it before. I, I, I don't know what it was. I totally understand that. And um, I would say that my first watch of Interstellar, I remember being sort of disappointed as well. And I couldn't put a finger on it. And I didn't watch it for a really long time. And then I went to go not to be one of these people either, but like I went to go see it in IMAX on film at the Cinesphere. And it just fucking, for some reason it clicked with me that second time watching it in IMAX. And I think that that movie is such a visual feast and, and on IMAX with the expanded aspect ratio on film, it was just like, and that score is so bombastic by Hans Zimmer. And, um, yeah, I think uh, plot-wise and story-wise, it gets a little convoluted, and and you know, uh, at the end, and the whole Matt Damon on the planet kind of yeah. thing is is <laughs> yeah. is, uh, is a lot. But um, I, I don't know. It's not my favorite Nolan, but like I remember the second time it weirdly clicked with me. Where that first time, I don't know if it's too like dense or there's a lot going on that I just not saying that you. I mean, maybe you 
it's not the, for the same reasons why you didn't like it. But uh, I just remember I, I totally see where you're coming from. And I it did not land with me that first time. But weirdly, I recently, I think it was right before the pandemic in that December when they were doing all the Nolan movies at the Cinesphere that I went back and I was like, I want to give Interstellar another shot. And um, and it, it, I was like, oh, fuck, I was wrong the first time. I really, really like this. Eric, I don't I forget your opinion on Interstellar. Yeah, I'm. <clears throat> I'm similar where like the first time I watched it, um, I saw it at the Scotiabank theater in IMAX and, and yeah. I, so I. I respected I just, it yeah. for, for what it was. Um, but I didn't really love the movie. And I think part of the disconnect was the emotion of the film. I don't think Christopher Nolan's a very emotional yes. filmmaker. No, no. Uh, and the Anne Hathaway stuff no. does not work. No, I think the Anne Hathaway stuff is okay. I think the I stuff know. that I have a problem with is the Jessica Chastain stuff, <laughs> where really? like okay. she literally Murph. Well, Murph, but like <laughs> when she throws the papers in the air, when she has the Eureka moment, and like things like that, where it just kind of feels a little over the top, but. Going back, I didn't to, love the Anne Hathaway love thing either. Well, that's that okay. Yeah. yeah, whatever. But but at the same time, I think the I think the Jessica Chastain sort of planet uh, back on Earth stuff is the weakest um, mm-hmm. aspects of it, where you don't really need to see a lot of that to kind of get the point of what is going on, and especially like with kind of the weird interjection of Timothy Chalamet turning into Casey Affleck, where that character is just almost like you don't even need that person; they just kind of feel hard done by. Uh, by Nolan specifically, because this is what it boils down to is, you know, a father daughter story. And um, again, you know, the emotional aspect isn't there. The technical prowess is phenomenal. And, but the second time around watching, and I think I just appreciated it more because of having watched tenant and being really disappointed by (laughs) tenant and thinking to myself like, okay, well, like there's an actual story and core to interstellar where tenet is just like hey look how cool it is to do everything in reverse you know and um Fair enough. yeah and and so like interstellar is one of those films where it's it's funny though like watching um 2001 in in high school i never really clicked with that film until mm-hmm. i saw it on the big screen. And then as soon as I saw it on the big screen, I was like, okay, now I get why this is such a big deal. Because for me, my Kubrick, my favorite Kubrick movie was either Dr. Strange love or the shining. And I had always respected 2001, but I was like, "Ah, I I just, it just doesn't do anything for me. And then I watch it on the big screen and the same thing with Barry Lyndon. And then I was like, okay, now I get why those movies are what they are. They have this power that doesn't necessarily translate watching them at home. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up 2001 because that is like my all-time favorite movie. And I, the first time I did see it was on a big screen at the Innes College Theater at U of T. I think it's Innes College. Um, and so I think maybe perhaps I was unrightfully comparing it to 2001. Yeah, I, which it is invoking a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, they're not they're not exactly similar films in terms of their themes. It's taking a lot from it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think for for Interstellar, the the one thing that I was grasping, and this always happens with sci fi for me, which is why I try to avoid it, is I start to pick at plot like plot Bottles, holes yeah, or yeah. the the world building. So I in my head, I'm like, in what world? Does humanity not have the capability to produce food anymore or it's, it's scarce for whatever reason? It's but dusty, can, Ree. It's dusty. But we can travel <laughs> to the fourth dimension? 
Does that make sense? I guess. Well, I remember with I Interstellar, mean, the joke was the the wormhole or the black hole that they were referencing, and even sort of like the demonstration of of folding the paper and putting a hole through it was literally Paul W S Anderson's Event Horizon. Like they did the yeah. same thing in that movie. Oh, and- did they? And that movie is terrible. It's with Sam, Sam Neill literally does the same thing where he describes it and pokes this hole using a, uh, you know, a piece of uh, paper and a pencil. And it's like, did Nolan just rip off Paul W.S. Anderson? <laughs> That's, I have to go back and rewatch Event Horizon now just for that scene. You do. And yeah. I, it's, it's, I disagree. I think it's an amazing, terrible movie. Uh, I loved it. Well, <laughs> you might be the, I mean, no, you're not the only one. There's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a movie that I don't understand because I've watched that film countless times and I still try to force feed it where it's like, okay, maybe now I'll finally get like the cult appeal of it because there is like Matt and I talk about this a lot and we'll probably mention it at some point, even on this show, the vulgar tourism of Paul W.S. Anderson or Jean-Colette Serra or people like that, where it's like, okay, there's a group of people that really love his films and like the same thing with Resident Evil where it's just like, I just don't get it. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Kev, what about you? Um, well, I would just, I would just like to say that as much as I didn't like Interstellar either, and as much as we can make fun of it, we just witnessed a bunch of billionaires basically <laughs> testing this out. So, if there's a whole bunch of dust, you know, yeah. Bezos is the first one up. Man. Yeah. So just remember, like, laugh yeah. all you want, but yeah, <laughs> we're all fucked. Um, <laughs> for me, <laughs> for me um, I, I think I don't really watch good movies um or sorry bad movies that are supposed to be good i watch them because i know they're going to be a piece of shit but i did come across one uh sling blade that one did not hit for me at all and when i was looking up the fact that you know there was nominations for awards you know even just nominations i was pretty shocked so that so movie you, would so you don't dip your taters into mustard or, or ketchup <laughs> No, I don't like them French fried potatoes. Oh, well, that's interesting. It, that's the Billy is Bob the Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton? Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen it. I actually kind of like that film, but um, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I, I, I think that they're. I almost feel like somebody like if Tracy Letts had written that, there would be something more to it because there are genre elements sort of bubbling to the surface in Sling Blade that I think do work. I actually, the guy I really like in that movie a lot is Dwight Yoakam. I actually think he's a really good scumbag. Um, I mean, he's amazing in Panic Room as well, uh, the Fincher movie. But um, yeah, I get what you're you're saying there where like sometimes it kind of feels a little bit dated and it's of sort of prime Miramax Weinstein company awards kind of baity material. but Billy Bob Thornton's a, a, like he's one of those guys that I think is kind of also weirdly underrated as an actor. Like you look at something more like maybe Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan with him and Bill Paxton, and like mm-hmm. that's like a classic sort of like heist movie, but also sort of you know a dilemma film of like you know what happened if you found all this money, what would you do, and how the situation kind of escalates. Um, but that's that's an interesting mm-hmm. one to one to pick, and not one that's really even talked about anymore whatsoever so that's that's always really uh fun to sort of bring up something like that i wanted to ask like when you're sort of putting these sort of monthly um sort of reviews together 
are you ever thinking about theme or based on the month? Like say like, you know, October, for example, do you, do you guys put together sort of like Halloween favorites or, or films that you haven't seen and, and having thinking of like, you know, the title of, I need to return some videotapes. Have you guys watched, or will you be watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Because obviously Patrick Bateman is watching that as he does his uh, workout routine. <laughs> oh, that's a good, that's a good call out. No, I haven't, sorry, during this pandemic time and when we've been writing the article, I haven't seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but now I got to add it to my watch list. Um, we have done, we're planning to do themes, like, of course, like you mentioned in October, we'll actually probably watch all our horror movies in September. So that way, the article comes come out, out at the beginning yeah. of October for people to take recommendations. We did a month in May, I believe, where yeah, we watched, right. we only watched movies available on streaming services. So Netflix, Prime and Disney, where you didn't have to pay an additional cost to rent them. Nice. Um, I mean, I'll just share. We, we were thinking for July of potentially doing a Canadian centric <clears throat> month of you know directors, location, like primarily actors. films and actors. But mm-hmm. I think when we were reflecting on what it meant for Canada Day yeah. this year, we kind of scrapped that idea because there's just so many voices out there in film. We don't want yeah, to yeah. Just discriminate based on that alone. Um, but we're open. To, I think like. As we continue this, there'll probably be a lot more. One thing I, I haven't told Kevin, but I was thinking about maybe doing like uh, a back to school type for September, like the coming of age type stories or mm-hmm. high school movies, something like that. Yeah, I think as, as we start watching um, kind of more and more of the movies that we haven't seen, we're kind of running low. So we're starting to, you know, have to think about ideas like that where we have to come up with great. And that's a great idea, by the way. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> or you could just watch he'll just take credit for it you could That's... just watch rodney dangerfield's back to school and oh, just yes, review that <laughs> just 20 times watch yeah. it over and over and over again yeah i think that's like uh, for me too for in my free time i guess with stuff that we're not reviewing eric like i i that's how i keep motivated when it comes to like watching and for you guys the theme was you know classics that we never watched before and i have a whole shame list as well of movies that you know i've never seen i sent that, you like, a list I, of films because like, that at one point asked me it's like and then i was like should i watch a- the gi joe movies can- again <laughs> oh, I- <laughs> can you write me a list of films i haven't seen that might be some blind spots and it's like yeah sure and i send them to him i'm gonna get to it i'm gonna won't. get to it matt, what I- matt what's your biggest blind spot uh, it was The Godfather, I would say. And then I watched those over Christmas break, all three of them. I would say First God- Godfather is the best one. Just throwing it out there. Um, and I thought you were going to say like Hot Takes, Godfather talking- 3 is the best. Yeah. <laughs> no, Godfather 3, not good. And I watched the new, the brand new cut of that the, for the first time and Eric hates me for it. Yeah, because your opinion um, does not count. You need to see the original <laughs> theatrical cut first. Just like everyone else did. like the rest of <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah. yeah, I watched, what was it called? The Coda or yeah. Godfather Coda or whatever. Oh. Um, I watched that for the first time. Um, I think those movies lived up to the hype for sure. Um, I think the second one, weirdly, I, that's the one that everyone seems to hold in very, or that, I mean, all, all, the first two they hold in very high regard, but um, I enjoyed the first one more than I enjoyed the second one. I felt the second one was a little disjointed with the two stories, but uh, still really a great movie. But um, you know what? I've slowly gone through some of them when it came to like blockbuster cinema. It was Indiana Jones for the longest time. And I finally oh. went back and watched all four Indiana Jones movies. Um, maybe a couple years back. 
I'm guilty um, of it too. Yeah, that's also my blind spot. I haven't seen any of the Indiana Jones. Yeah, movies. it was weirdly not something Eric I grew up with. Right yeah, Eric, <laughs> Eric hates us for it. But like, uh, I, I it was know. not my, like I love Spielberg. Obviously, you know, Kevin and I just said Jurassic Park, favorite movie of all time. But like, um, I uh, Indiana Jones did nothing for me when I was younger, and then it just kind of like I'm sure I seen some of it or maybe even you know raiders of the lost ark and like as a kid i just didn't remember it because it just didn't connect with me i was like i don't know, like you and eric you i'm poke fun at myself for this i'm like any movie that either takes uh place before i was born or was released before i was born i'm like i have a horrible blind spot so like <laughs> 1989 and later i've seen pretty much everything or uh, most of it and then like before 19, the 1980s, I've seen a lot because Eric and I like to watch shitty 80, 80s movies together and good 80s movies. But like you go 70s and earlier and it's pretty like if you throw a movie out there, I'm like, uh, I might have seen it. And then like in film school, I had to watch like a lot of older movies and things like that. So I've seen like a lot of the, you know, the ones you should see. But I'm trying to think other big, huge blind spots like movies people like are, that are iconic that I haven't seen. Eric probably knows better than I. Yeah, I mean, um, I I sent you that list, so you'd have to double. But yeah, check some it. of those are not deep cuts. They're they're very you know um, popular and, and and great movies. But yeah, my blind spot for the longest time was Indiana Jones and The Godfather, and I got through both of those. And um, Indiana Jones still doesn't do much for me, but I enjoyed them. Um, but uh, this this is a hot the hottest take. I liked the fourth one the most. Oh, no. <laughs> like, Wait, this is the Shia LaBeouf one. Yo, it is. And oh, I enjoyed okay. it the most. That is a, I was, a hot take. Um, I was like, this movie's not as bad as people made it out to be. And two, I kind of thought it was the best one. And um, I know that's a horrible garbage <laughs> take, but like um, – Mind you, they're all like, you know, three out of fives for me. Like they're all just And you didn't love I, Back to the Future either, though, right? Uh yeah, they're fine. Um, there's another one that probably no, I saw those as a kid, but uh rewatched them as an adult. And um I prefer Ninja Turtles, you know, them going back in time hey, it's way Dan better now. than Stan now. Um those movies are terrible, but loved them. But um, that that would have been mine. Like, and for you guys, was it Godfather one of them? You, what was the biggest one? You guys were going through all of your stuff. Like, so my blind spot was a lot smaller. I would say in the classics and like the ones that you should see. I, I've come to realize that she's going on Letterbox and pulling up like the most popular movies of all time. Yeah, do it. But she, she's she's probably got me now um, with all the older movies. But I'd say like you know, classics, there was a lot that she hadn't seen and it's kind of what drove us to start watching. So I'm glad that she hadn't seen them. Um, but I, I don't know what was your, well, well one spot? of our biggest blind spots still is James Bond. Oh yeah. We have yeah. many James Bond movies. Um, the, the, the ones that I used to take a lot of heat for were a lot of kids movies actually. So I'd never seen home alone before. Oh, I'd never seen, uh, the mighty ducks before. Now I have, yeah. That, that used to shock people a lot. And the, the other kids movie that shocks people that I have not seen yet is Mary Poppins. Okay. I rewatched it before the the new one came out. And uh, I remember watching Mary Poppins. So like for me, I was a, my family was a Disney kid. So like I, I had, you know, my sister and two cousins who were uh, girls and we watched a lot of Disney princess movies and just like Disney mm -hmm. movies in general. So, and like, I, I'm curious, did, you, did, did those work for you as an adult because you wouldn't have had that nostalgia 
tied to it, right? Yeah, the, I would assume no, they, like, they were not. Yeah, I, because I, I feel like Home Alone, not a good movie. Mighty Ducks, not good movies. But like, if you grew up with them and watched them over and over again as a kid, that's why I watch Home Alone every year. And the Mighty Ducks, we rewatched Eric before we reviewed the series, right? Or yeah, you? we were like Emilio, oh, yeah. right? Emilio, yeah, yeah. and they yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do not really work. But um, but there's this weird nostalgia that the Ninja Turtles, which I brought up, are a similar one where those movies are terrible. But I just love them because i grew up with them well we talked about this as well when when we were reviewing space jam uh yeah there's another legacy where like i can see a generation of kids growing up on that and having a fondness for it where like the critics of the time have been sort of you know shit piling on it and you know like it's the same thing with ninja turtles where it's like you know i think like of all the VHSs I had as a kid, Ninja Turtles, Batman, Dick Tracy, and a couple others were like Super Mario Brothers for me, baby. Sure, <laughs> and and you know, like some of them are better than others. Uh, Super Mario Brothers being the best, uh, <laughs> not at all. Uh, it's terrible. Uh, I love it. I love and it. And even Mortal Kombat. It's like you look at those films, and there is a certain nostalgia for the generation that grew up with those films. But I think that's with any generation. I mean, you like there are people that have a fondness to the you know the the Herbie the Love bug uh you know or or the shaggy dog movies the disney kid films from the you know the 60s and 70s so you know there's there's always a nostalgic aspect uh with it but when you're not coming from that point of view or perspective i think it's just as interesting to sort of look at that and be like okay this is what worked for a generation but maybe it doesn't work now and that'll be interesting to see like what marvel or comic book movies are like you know 20 years from now yeah, um, we can it, tell you the Schulmacher uh, Batman. Oh yeah, <laughs> do not <laughs> hold up. <laughs> do not hold up. Yeah. yeah, I saw you guys watch those. Yeah, uh, um, and no, wait, wait, no, no. This is this is something I think that's important to ask. Right. Which of the two do you think is worse, Batman Forever or Batman and Robin? Batman and Robin. I would agree. That's with the that. correct you, answer. You guys yeah. are both wrong. See, no, you're, <laughs> a, yeah, see, I'm on your side. See, I think I think Batman, I like Jim Carrey enough in in Forever that I um see. I, I find Batman and Robin's it's still a terrible movie. Don't get me wrong, but I think the camp value in that film is a little bit more interesting than like you can hate watch it and have fun. Yeah, where Batman Forever is just mundane. Me. Like it's truly boring to watch. I just sit there and it just goes over me and the jim carrey stuff truly does feel dated yeah i know i agree i, I just jim carrey in that is, is enough for me to make that movie kind of palatable and tommy lee jones still ter- yeah. is obnoxious tommy jones is horrible. Well, horrible actually for me i think the reason i prefer batman forever is i actually prefer val kilmer as Batman. Yes, Clooney sucks. I, I Clooney is so bad. Clooney at all. But it's weird because Clooney's the guy who you would think would be closer to the Bruce, Bruce Wayne, Wayne persona, oh, right? Totally. See, Val Kilmer for me just doesn't register. Like, Val Kilmer has done some good stuff. Like, he's great in Top Secret. He's amazing in David Mamet's Spartan. Um, but as Bruce Wayne and Batman, like, I mean, both of them are, are just really awkward in, in those roles. Um, but there's just stuff like, again, like I think that opening sequence in Batman forever is just like something that Rob Zombie would direct, like, especially with the security guard where it's like, Oh no, it's boiling acid. And you're just like, yeah, get yeah. out well, they're, of here. They're, car- they're live action cartoons, right? but not yeah, in, so- but not in a good way. The best thing no. about Batman forever is the soundtrack, mm-hmm. you know, oh, kiss from a rose and you too. Uh, the, you can't go wrong there. Yeah. I mean, with, with Batman and Robin, 
I would say I was really impressed still to this day. I thought Uma, Uma Thurman oh, yeah. was amazing as Poison Ivy. Yeah. I would love to She's see. She's having fun. Yeah. I would love to see like more of that campy villain in like modern superhero movies. Less Mr. Freeze, more more poison hive. I think you got a How little bit of that. You? In- Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. just punning it up, like for like, yeah. and like who is he saying this to? Like yeah. literally, it's like like who the jokes are- these ideas off with because it, it's literally a cartoon. Um, I forget what I was gonna say. Uh, but I mean, going back to the themes thing, Batman being one of them, I think that's going back to like what I watch in my free time and how I stay kind of continuously watching stuff is is picking a theme, whether it's like you guys mentioned Scorsese directors are that thing for me, like going through a filmography of a director. I know, I know we were talking about David Lynch uh, watching Twin Peaks for the first time as well. I know you guys recently did that. And um, that's the kind of stuff. And Eric and I have been talking, even starting like uh, a- another thing another podcast that is going through, you know, having seasons and doing it by filmographies of filmmakers and doing, yeah, you keep you know, talking about Paul Verhoeven. Like, I want to do oh, Verhoeven's at least. That, his would inc- that would be the horniest podcast. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, Eric and Matt, the horny boys. We um, actually just watched Showgirls in June. Oh yeah. Nice. Oh, I haven't liked this. It's <laughs> terrible. It's, it's terrible. terrible. Yeah, I, I'd love Paul Verhoeven because he is a, a purveyor of perversion on like the greatest level. And like even his art house films with Rucker Hauer, like Turkish delight or soldier of orange have this pervy quality that we're able to seep in to the studio films in, you know, like you look at RoboCop, RoboCop and total recall. I mean, obviously total recall was, you know, partly, uh, David Cronenberg's design until he left the project. But like RoboCop's one of those movies where it's like, you know, parents will throw that on for kids thinking like, oh, it's just a B movie action cop thing. Movie. And then right. and then some right. guy gets shot in the genitals and you're just like, this movie is intense and it yeah. stars you <laughs> for life. And that's the kind of filmmaker Paul Verhoeven is. So, I mean, like you can only imagine how excited Matt and I are to eventually see Benedetta whenever it comes out in North America because it just got released in France. So horny nun movie. Yeah. Released at Kent's. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It, it, it played a can, and then it got its theatrical release the next day. Uh, and then okay. IFC has the rights to it in North America, so they'll probably release it sometime in the fall. Uh, but yeah, Horny Nuns. Yeah, yeah. no way. Can't go wrong. Um, yeah, Verhoeven's one. Holy V. One. We, I recently went through all of David Lynch. There was another blind spot for me, Which too. Which Wild at like, Heart was the thing yeah. I was most surprised that Matt had never seen being a yeah. huge Nicolas Cage fan. And it is fucking awesome. <laughs> it's so I, good. I really want to watch it, but I don't find yeah. it available anywhere to stream. Like it's not on Apple TV or Cineplex or anything to even rent. I think with a lot of Lynch's stuff, it was weirdly hard to find some things. Eric and I went to the coolest screening of um, Eraserhead and Twin Ooh. Peaks uh, uh, Fire Walk With Me. It was Fire Walk With Me, Eric, yeah, right? Yeah. That we saw. And it was right before The Return came out and it was at the Fox Theater in Toronto. And they were like, oh, we're going to show Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me to get prepped for the show and we're going to give a cold brew beer and a donut like that's came with your ticket. And then 
they're also like when we bought the Fox theater, there was a print of a racer head that they just left here. So we have no idea what condition it's in and we're just going to play it for everyone as a double feature. <laughs> if it lights on it was, fire, remember where the yeah. emergency exits are. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, let's just do it. And it was the most scratched up shitty print of this movie, but it was That's actually so, yeah, it was just so much fun to watch it that way. Cause it was just like so dirty and scratched up. And it was the first time I'd seen a racer head, but it works it was, as like with the industrial sort of quality of the film yeah. and and again speaking of a movie that if you watch at a young age that traumatizes you with that baby uh and and just thinking about that but wild at heart is yeah it's one of those movies because um it, it got it, it it's it got a blu-ray release through twilight time originally and then they went under and then shout factory uh right. released it on blu-ray um, which is the copy I have, um, but I don't know if they've discontinued that or if Shout actually has, because Shout Factory also has their own channel, Shout Selects, and um, sometimes they put their stuff on there like Criterion or any other channel, so um, maybe look there, but it is, it's one of those movies that I think, because it came out right after, like it was David Lynch's follow-up to Blue Velvet, a lot of people, with the exception of the French that gave it the Palm d'Or, um, kind of felt like, oh, it's you know the the, the follow-up effort to a you know a, a better movie that already was made. So they were thinking, right. oh, it's more of the same, and it's also the the idea of like pop culture in a blender. Um, but I think that movie especially like the two leads with, with Nick Cage and Laura Dern and the idea that, you know, Lynch has always been obsessed with the wizard of Oz specifically. Um, it's all there. And it kind of feels like maybe it's one of his most personal films in a, in a lot of ways, sort of with the iconography that's kind of shown throughout, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those movies that I cannot recommend more highly. It's, it's, it's bizarre. It's funny. It's violent. Um, it's quintessential David Lynch. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'm dying to watch this movie. I got to find it now. Um, did you guys finish all of Twin Peaks? We did. Yeah. We did. Okay. We watched the first season, the second season, then Fire Walk With Me, and then The Return. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? I loved it. <laughs> okay, I loved good. It. I want to I own it. Like, I need to go buy yeah, the full I'm sure collection. Eric and I have them. Yeah. Eric's yeah. is somewhere back. Mine's right there. But yeah, I, I have the uh, the books as well that they released after um, oh, like the Laura series too. Homer's Diary? Yeah. And then there's like a dossier with all the files of people. And I've been meaning to go through it. And I have the audio book that has the whole cast like reading their parts and stuff too. And it's supposed to be like a cool – and the writer of the show, what's his name? Mark, Mark Frost. Mark, uh, Mark Frost. Frost wrote the books. So – or at least one of them. Um but yeah, the the return is quite the experience. <laughs> I thought the return was incredible. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. part eight. It's part eight. I, I don't know how they pulled that off and put it on television. It, yeah, yeah. I re- watching that live, and uh, luckily, like Nevis, I don't think she was home that night because it's just such a a mind fuck of an episode. It's so loud too. Um, but yeah, episode eight is incredible. I've been meaning to go back. I've been have this itch to rewatch all of twin peaks and especially cause I haven't watched the return since it aired on, on crave and I have the blu-rays and, and cause crave streaming quality is garbage. Um, it might be better now, but when it was airing, it was garbage, but but just the idea of having Nine Inch Nails perform and then the end of the world happens, you know, like that's that's oh, yeah. literally yeah. how I expect it to all end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Um, okay. I mean, that was a pretty long intro, but I mean, I mean, we kind of blended right into um, 
kind of the first segment, which is what have we been watching? I don't know what recently you guys have been watching. On my end, uh, I know we brought up Bill Paxton, and I had a double feature of not necessarily Bill Paxton. He was in one of the movies, but I had a Rick Moranis double feature on the weekend when I watched uh, Streets of Fire for the first time because Eric uh, – uh, I saw some people online recommending it and, um, uh, and Eric was like, Oh, I think you'll dig this and I'll, I'll lend you the Blu-ray. So I watched that. And then I also, weirdly, I didn't like in the Heights. Um, when we watched it, uh, we were one of the few that just weren't very hot on that movie, but, um, it got me into kind of a musical mood after watching it. And, um, Weirdly, I sought out Streets of Fire, which is like not a musical, but has musical elements. It's a rock and roll fable, Matt. Yes, exactly. Says, Um, had fun with it. Um, I think I, I think I thought, um, I thought it was maybe going to be more have more musical elements and have more rock elements, and there's a lot of rock music in it, but it is a pretty classic, you know, neo western, um, and it is a little bit more slow moving than I thought. I still enjoyed it, um, but I, it's bookended by these two really great like rock performances, like and um, and right away I was like, Eric, this movie fucking rules, and then like just from this first performance, got a great Willem Dafoe performance too. Everyone has dope hair. There's so much neon light and i'm like this is right up my alley and and then a pretty decent you know little western story uh bookended by these two rock concerts and uh so i had fun with it i don't think i loved it um but i like rick moranis being sleazy eric and i talked about this when we were heading up to toronto for our screenings this past week and just seeing moranis do this kind of sleazy scumbag kind of thing is a lot of fun yeah it's i mean it's really the soundtrack and and again like talking about nostalgia it's something that i really loved and it's almost like you know it's it's the cool kids uh uh musical in 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 a way like you know when somebody says oh what's your favorite musical you go like you want to be cool you want to fire you want to impress people you're like you know what uh quadrophenia uh rocky horror picture show streets of fire those are yeah. the cool musicals, you know, Tommy <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah, and Streets yeah. of Fire, like the, the, the bookends of those kind of musical numbers, which the, the, the two big songs tonight, what it's uh, tonight's what it means to be young and uh, nowhere fast are, are written by Jim Steinman, uh, who recently actually passed away, who was meatloaf's uh, uh, writer for bad out of hell. Oh, okay. And so they have that operatic that tracks, that quality. Tracks, yeah. And then like, oh, I can wow. dream about you actually still plays all the time on, yeah. on the radio. Um, but it's just interesting that like Walter Hill basically remade the warriors, but turned it into sort of a, a rockabilly, you know, 1950s greaser, neo-Western, Neo yeah. you know, and, and um, yeah, the performances are fun and like seeing people also like Diane Lane and yeah. uh, Michael Paré. Um, I mentioned Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton, yeah. Lee Ving. Um, it, so it's, it's, it's one of these weird kind of like medleys from the mid eighties that, has become more of a cult film in the last decade or so. It seems like more people have really kind of responded to it, especially since uh, shout factory released it on Blu-ray, which um, is exciting. It because, yeah, it, it looks great. Like the, it's, it's got that grainy kind of quality. And we were talking about this as well, Matt, where like you can tell that a lot of uh, filmmakers that were making movies in the eighties grew up in the fifties. So that influence of fifties yeah. iconography and culture is, is all is a lot there. in the eighties yeah. movies. And now we're seeing it, now with the 80s and 90s and even bleeding into 2000s and stuff like that which is just 
upsetting um but it, it's kind of fun to see and then i watched uh little shop of horrors um which fucking rules and uh i hadn't seen it since i was a kid so frank oz's little shop of horrors the the 80s one but you watched the director's um, cut i did watch the director's cut which i had never seen uh which i like the ending a lot as a, like again i i talking with eric uh off air just being like Man, I don't remember this movie being that dark or that depressing. Like, obviously, it has dark themes and deals with, you know, a murder and a, a man-eating plant and stuff like that. But um, and just the cameos in that movie are killer. I mean, Rick Moranis is uh, is phenomenal. Uh, uh, Steve Martin, who I usually don't like, but I think he's weirdly perfect as the dentist in Little Shop of Horrors, and just as this weird Elvis dentist, and um, very funny. And this director's cut is way more disturbing than the original cut. Um, and way more depressing than the original cut, but then the music is phenomenal. Uh, I just cranked it up and having people like, uh, you know, Bill Murray pop up and, uh, John Candy and, um, Jim, Bel- is it Jim Belushi is also in it? No, or Dan Aykroyd. Who am I thinking of? Yeah. You know, you're thinking um, of Jim Belushi. Uh, Jim Belushi's in yeah. it. Yeah. too. Is and it, Christopher is Guest Daniel. as well. Christopher and, Guest yeah. is the other one. Yeah. Yeah. So just having, you know, just the all those guys from that era just pop up in these small roles in little shop of horrors is great. And I just miss Rick Moranis. And, you know, I know he was going to come out of retirement for, um, the new, um, honey, I shrunk the kids series on Disney plus. Um, and I know they were trying to get him for the new ghostbusters as well. Um, but I just kind of miss that guy. And I just like, he's another guy with like Wayne Knight in the nineties and Rick Moranis in the eighties. And uh, that I just kind of like, miss and i wish they were in more things still um uh, and wayne knight pops up here and there and he does some voice acting now but i know Moranis just kind of retired to new york and didn't after his wife passed away right yeah and he just wanted to kind of well, he also care wrote a kids. country album as well like he kind of did, did like his music stuff. Too? yeah yeah oh, okay cool good for him if he's happy he's happy but yeah little shop of horrors um I think probably one of my favorite musicals and I just remember loving it as a kid. And then um, I was telling Eric this too, that a friend of mine, his dad, when we were kids, I think his brother or something owned a theater. And I remember they bought a theater in downtown Oshawa. And I think it was the coolest thing ever because they let us go in this like deserted, broken down theater as they were renovating it. So me and my friend CJ would rollerblade around this like theater and crawl through all the like attic and stuff like that. And they put on Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I think they put on Little Shop of Horrors. And I remember one Halloween, he had a big Audrey 2 puppet that he took from that show and put it in his front window uh, for the trick-or-treaters and would like yell at everyone and have this giant elaborate Audrey 2 puppet from his window and um, and played the music. And I just that I remember that like etched in my head. And then that's why I remember watching that movie as a kid. So just revisiting it, being in that kind of musical mood, um, it really kind of scratched an itch I was looking for because I did not like In the Heights. But I, I do like m- musicals, but we've talked about this, that the best movie musicals I think are not really um, adaptations are the ones that are kind of written as uh, movie musicals. I know this is, this is a stage play, right? Yeah. Or am I yeah. Well, it's based up? originally okay, yeah. on the Roger on the Corman movie? film yeah. that then has made Jack Nicholson, play? but yeah. doesn't have Jack Nicholson because they yeah. advertise it as Nicholson being the star, but he actually plays the Bill Murray role uh, in the which original version. Scene, which, right? Yeah. And it, he's like, Jack Nicholson's like, 20 in that movie <laughs> so this the stage play was based on the original movie and then this one is kind of after that stage play or yeah. did, it was i'm getting that in order okay that's what i kind of remember but i had a blast with those um so that's kind of what i watched on the weekend have you guys seen either of them or no 
No, I haven't seen either of those movies, but they said, I, I remember seeing parts of Little Shop of Horrors and I enjoyed it when I watched it as a kid. So I think that's something I need to watch. For yeah, me. it was great to revisit. And the practical yeah. effects really hold up too. Yes. Good I've, got, I've got fragments of it in my mind. So I did see it as a kid. I just don't really remember it. So mm-hmm. it's great. Uh, it's another one that's kind of hard to find because it wasn't on streaming anywhere, which is why I had to look at Eric's gigantic collection and go, Eric probably owns it. I could just ask him. And then of course he did. So uh, it's right here actually, because I have to return these to you. I do have to return some videotapes to Eric. <laughs> just there you go. Left. The Leftovers and Little Shop of Horrors and Streets of Fire is somewhere here. but um, Oh, it's right here. There you go. Streets of Fire, everyone. Um, so, yeah, that's what I watched on the last weekend. Um, what about you guys? I know you guys – what did you watch this past weekend, Kevin and Ree? Uh, okay, hold on. I have to take a Most look on That's box. okay. Or Eric, if you want to go, if you watched anything. Oh, on the yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about it a little bit off air, Matt, but uh, I needed to know if the we movie- got to stop hanging out off air because we have co- these conversations we could be recording. So we always keep referencing, <laughs> well, we talked off air about this. <laughs> so um, we'll repeat ourselves. But- so literally, I needed to know if these movies were real um, because, you know, Matt and I always talk <laughs> right, about <yeah>. VOD <laughs> releases, specifically- uh, you know, with Nicolas Cage kind of returning to form in Pig, um, you know, you usually get a Nicolas Cage movie every week on VOD and it's like the C to D level schlock. Same thing with Bruce Willis. So uh, available on Netflix, this is not a recommendation or an endorsement in any way, but I, I curiosity kills the cat here. Um, Cosmic Sin, uh, a film with Bruce Willis and... Frank Grillo sci-fi thriller that was made in what looks like a week. Uh, I needed to see this because there are so many Bruce Willis films that get released within a calendar year um, that I wonder if they're a front for the mob or something like money laundering (laughs) and they're not real movies. And it's almost like if you like press play on them, they don't play. And it's like, wait, you wanted to see this. This isn't a real film. It sadly is a real movie, but it's a real movie in the sense of like being an asylum film. Um, Although an asylum movie actually has more creativity going into it. And so essentially what you have with Cosmic Sin, the the one film I have seen of of this weird oeuvre of uh, late stage sad egg Bruce Willis, um, is you have basically Bruce Willis playing this disgraced warmongering general who like his response to an alien invasion is bomb everything. But the idea that the best part about this whole thing is that Bruce Willis only works on each one of these movies for about like a day and a day and a half. Like that's his contract. And so all the scenes, like there's a tracking shot of him walking, like his first shot walking to a bar that, you know, like an outside shot of him, this neon lit bar. And it's literally his stand in his double And you can tell because it's just like this younger looking guy who's much taller than Bruce Willis walking to the bar in this tracking shot, sits down. The cuts are terrible. Um, Nothing matches ever. Bruce Willis only has about, let's say, two to three sentences per scene, usually single words or one syllables. And there are times where you can see an earpiece in his ear and they're feeding him lines. It is incredibly, it is, it is a film that I, I, I think you need to teach this in film school to show what not to do because every opportunity this movie has to do something right. 
it goes completely wrong. Um, and it's incredible. And I feel like there's a, there's a ton of these movies that are being released that yeah, they are, always have like John Cusack or Adrian Brody or yeah, Nicolas like, Cage and Cage, yeah. and Bruce Willis, but. Bruce Willis is an asshole in real life, and he's yeah. giving the assholish performance, the apathetic performance that you'd expect from him. He literally does nothing. And the supporting cast, or like quote unquote the main cast, are actors that feel like are from central casting, you know, from the area. And it's just, it's ridiculous. It's it's not a good movie, but at the same time, I think that these films need to be taught. Uh, in film school, just at to, least one of them. Yeah, yeah, just to show you what not to do. Um, it's yeah. I'm 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 never gonna watch another one, but I'm kind of yeah. weirdly happy I watched this because now I know they're real. I just I just looked it up, and it actually appears it's the same director as well for each of them. Yeah. So it, oh, yeah. He, like, so Edward Drake like wrote yeah. Breach, and then he has yeah. three more three. with Bruce Willis, which he probably again shot, shot in a, weekend. In a day. Oh <laughs> yeah. my god, that's wild. Like, I, it's funny because I'll pop on Apple trailers on my Apple TV every once in a while, and like especially during the pandemic when movies weren't coming out, um, it was just all that VOD stuff. Where like every like Nevis and I, I wouldn't watch the full movies, but we'd just for fun, we'd be like, we got to watch these trailers. Like, what is this? Like you'd see a poster and it would have one of those guys in it. And you're like, this isn't real. And then you'd watch the trailer and you're like, Oh my God, this is like, if you literally gave a film school student, not even a budget, but said you have to make some sort of blockbuster movie <laughs> using like, you know, uh, the final cut and after effects on your, on your MacBook but that air. Sounds even better and than like, what that movie, yeah. than what this movie was. Yeah, like you're selling yeah. me on that yeah. movie, Matt. Like, <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, God bless you, Eric, for uh, suffering through that. I can only make it through the trailers of those, and I just can't. There's one that I think I eventually watched. Maybe when Blockbuster was still around, where they, I feel like that's when you could. I guess it's the same concept now, just on streaming, where you would trick someone into watching one of these movies by putting that guy on the poster. I think it was like a Sam Jackson, Adrian Brody movie or something from like the mid two thousands when they were already starting to do. And Sam Jackson is one of those guys that can transcend and be still in like really great stuff, but then also do a couple of these VOD things. Cause he just does so much that you yeah. almost are like, ah, oh, it's okay. He just loves working, I guess. I don't know. And he just shows up in one of these things, but then does something uh, fantastic. But I guess like that whole thing, because again, another conversation we had while we were together is like, I just guess it's to make a quick buck on tricking, you know, I think older people probably who grew up with some of these actors and liked them when they were in their prime that you're just like, Oh honey, a new Bruce Willis movie. And then they pop it on and I guess they don't know any better. And they, they rent it for $6 and then that's all they want. I have no idea, but I can't believe they're real either. Yeah. So. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Um, Kat Vri, what did you watch? Uh, okay. I'll take one that we watched this weekend. It's an older movie. Laura. Old okay. Noir from yeah. 1944, Otto Primager's, one of his first movies. I don't think it was his first, but it stars Vincent Price. That's one of his first, that's one of Vincent, like it's a younger Vincent Price in that Yeah, movie. see, I, I didn't even recognize who he was in the film, not until after. I knew he was a main star because his name came up right at the beginning of the credits. And I couldn't pick him out out of the like male she wouldn't characters. wouldn't believe me. I couldn't believe it, who he was. So he looked really young. 
Um, it was kind of amazing. Who else is in this? I don't think anyone's super famous from that time, but okay, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong. Gene Tierney. Gene Tierney is a big name for okay. that period. Yeah. Um, she, so she's, she plays Laura and like, I was blown the away. Titular by her. Laura. Yeah. I was blown away by her performance. It was, there was a scene in which they're just kind of describing who Laura is to someone who's never met her. And this, like, it made me want to be like, I wish I was Laura. I don't know. It was so, she was so charismatic and just like a beautiful person in and out. It was really, really great to see. And then it had a, a very fantastic plot and, you know, all the tropes of film noir where you don't know who's guilty, what each of their motivations were, but it felt really refreshing because I feel like since watching Sunset Boulevard, we've watched quite a bit of noir because I really, I, I loved Boulevard, obviously. Um, and not a, not a lot of them have hit the same kind of level of where I was just shocked and blown away by all the different aspects of the film coming together. This one was really amazing. Uh, and the way I actually came about this movie, the way I heard about it was from another film, The Player. It was one of the movie posters. Oh, I love posters. The Player so, so much. So do we. And it was like one of the movie so posters in the background. And I was like, you know what? If he likes it, I'm sure I'll like it. So that, that's how I came across it. And it was very cool. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. And it just recently, got a Criterion release as well on, on oh, Blu-ray. Did? Yeah. Oh. Laura, Laura did? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. Because the player's been on it. Yeah, that's how I watched the player and um did not know that either. Good to know. But yeah, the player rules. I watched that recently. Another Otto Preminger movie that I would highly recommend seeking out is uh, Bunny Lake is Missing, which is a very contemporary sort of thriller if you haven't seen that yet. No, haven't. And I added it to my list like right after I looked at his filmography because the only other film of his that we'd seen was Anatomy of a Murder. Which I is amazing a, as well. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah, the, the soundtrack is unbelievable. But I went through this big Jimmy Stewart phase like earlier this year. It was really weird. But um, I, yeah, he's, he's an incredible director. Yeah. And, and one of those guys that kind of like, again, subverts your expectations of – what the studio movie could be like bunny lake is missing is almost weirdly like you can tell that david fincher took a lot of inspiration from gone girl from bunny lake is missing and i think they were trying to remake that as well i think back in 2010 with reese witherspoon and um it never came to be but yeah you watch bunny lake is missing it is um there's stuff in there it's like i'm surprised they got away with that when it was made Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's that might be happening this weekend. Yeah, love it. Sell yeah, you on that yeah. one. <laughs> um, it, it was a good movie. I don't. I don't think it was you know at the same level as Laura. But uh, we watched A Quiet Place too. Yeah, we um, recently reviewed yeah. that because it came out on streaming yeah. last week, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So we 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 enjoyed it. I mean, um, kind of similar to the first one. Yeah. Um, Pretty I, much I, just an extension. That's what we were saying. I did love Killian Murphy. I thought he was great in it. Um, I found um, them revisiting the story again at the beginning was actually kind of a nice, quick refresher. Didn't yeah. seem to drag on too much, which uh, I really, I mean, appreciated. I, you know, the movie itself kind of, kind of cookie cutter. I'm not really. I would say outside of maybe Alien, I'm not really into like monster type movies. You know, like. King Kong, Godzilla, doesn't, they don't do anything for me. So I, I'd say it's still one of my favorites um, of the genre, though. So, yeah, that one was good. Um, he, he's good with set pieces, I find, John Krasinski. Yeah. Like he, he's, and it's unexpected because you look at like his first couple of films that he directed. They're these kind yeah. of like Sundance indie movies that – 
you know, kind of typically kind of fall by the wayside, you know, brief interviews yeah. with hideous men and things like that. Yeah, and the haulers, yeah, <laughs> oh, the haulers. Um, um, and, and you look at that and, and compare it to a quiet place and a quiet place part two. And you're kind of like, where did this director come from? You know, like the, the, the way that he sets up suspension and, and tension and sort of, you know, the cross cutting uh, in certain scenes, I think really does Especially work. Especially that second one. Yeah. yeah. I just had some problems with this movie kind of being just more connective tissue between, you know, the first film and what will be the third movie because um, Jeff Nichols was announced that he's going to be directing uh, a spinoff, which also could, probably be the third film because i know krasinski isn't coming back to do a third movie yeah he did the story for this and then jeff nichols took over and is writing and directing it but yeah i'm kind of i i really liked it but felt like i didn't need it if that like i really think that first movie is was such a great surprise and is such a tight thriller and the family drama between all of them and it's just they're so short and sweet that i could just i i could take a hundred of these movies that are 90 minutes or less to the, point. And to the point just a singular action horror thriller movie that takes inspiration from jurassic park from aliens from kind of those style of movies and i feel like it's so it, like eric said too just was shocking that john krasinski's the guy that has this so such assured uh you know direction in both of those movies and um i think the first one is obviously uh, better because it was a surprise and I think it's a bit tighter where this one um, I, I we said it in our review but I just kind of liked that it continued that thing of like you know we have to our dad sacrificed his life for us and we need to you know survive for him like it can't be for nothing so I like those two kids going off and yeah. doing their own thing and then I, I am a sucker for like post-apocalyptic alien invasion kind of movies like it, I just I love that setting and obviously like I anyone who listens to this show or just listens to me in general like I reference the last of us on everything at any time and they're probably like dude get another fucking I'm like I think it's my favorite I think Sony should be paying you time. at this point every time um, you make a reference who knows um supposedly that was a piece of news that I didn't even throw in that it's going to be one of the most expensive TV shows of all time and it's going to cost more than the last season of Game of Thrones and I was like Whoa. I mean they must have so there faith better in not thing. be any so Starbucks like, coffee um, cups in, in yeah, the last of us yeah. well there I guess in this there can be they do go to seattle at one point eric damn it matt um, <laughs> they do there will be a so Ke- kelsey grammar will but, be somewhere in seattle killian murphy and the young girl i'm just like oh joel and ellie stuff like and that's probably yeah. like the laziest uh, thing of like i mean i think that's obvious in the like i think last of us was so successful that we saw stuff at like uh it comes at night was heavily influenced mm-hmm. by it um i think there's parts in 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 a uh, quiet place that remind me of the last of us because I, I, think- I think that's kind of why i was kind of put off was i i just finished playing last of us and yeah. i'm playing last of us two right now yeah, yeah. so it's uh yeah I, I got that vibe completely and it did kind of feel like a cheaper version yeah no totally and i I don't think it's as not as fleshed out it's still thoroughly entertaining i think i just think um i think both movies are thoroughly entertaining and that's kind of what i wanted out of those movies it's just like they're kind of popcorn thrillers and like i think they are very good at being popcorn thrillers that Mm -hmm. like they're like 85 minutes in and out i'm like oh shit it's already done fantastic i'm like that's all i needed from this so uh, again like some of the world building and and like the development of like i don't know if i needed more of where the aliens came from but i'm curious with this jeff nichols movie and, and 
Eric, we're kind of repeating ourselves, but I like having this conversation with you guys that like Jeff Nichols is such a different filmmaker than John Krasinski um, and like midnight special and take shelter and, and even loving and, and, and some of his other stuff is just like, it's, it's, I can't imagine what his version of a quiet place movie is going to be. Um, other than Michael I, Shannon will be the alien. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or at least they'll be in it. But um, yeah, it's um, it's a tight little entertaining throwaway kind of thriller. Like, I don't know if I really w- ever need to revisit quiet place too, but um, and I was saying this as well, like it reminded me of, which sounds more of an insult based on how people, and I know this maybe doesn't resonate with you guys because you brought up you haven't watched any James Bond, but Quantum of Solace in the Daniel Craig Bond movies. To me, I enjoyed that movie more when I watched it immediately after Casino Royale because it literally picks up the minute that movie ends and feels like an epilogue. And then that's kind of what this movie felt like for me. It's just like if you watch them and put them into like one which I'm is kind of contradicting what I just said of being like, I like that they're short little hour and 20 minute thrillers, but there's one cool story that if you put them right together, that I think it works as, you know, literally a part one and part two, instead of having that gap in between them and stuff. And I enjoyed quantum of solace more on a rewatch because if you watch it, the minute casino Royale ends, um, I think it is a, a, an okay epilogue, but if you wait, you know, the three years we had to wait or whatever it was between uh, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. And it's weirdly an hour and 20 minutes long. And it just feels like this weird outlier of, uh, I don't know your opinion on Quantum, Eric, but. I think it's fine. Um, I, I think it's it's interesting in the in the sense that it is a continuation where you look at a lot of the Bond <laughs> movies. They're more episodic uh, yeah. than anything else, th- th- with the exception of whoever is playing Bond is in all of them. It's not necessarily there's. You know, it's not. It doesn't really feel like a sequel, more so than just another installment or another chapter in the Bond franchise. But going back to both Laura and A Quiet Place Part Two, it's just interesting to think about, like, you know, the juxtaposition of you know classic and contemporary filmmaking and the way that pacing has changed so much in you know those those decades since, and the idea that you know the slow burn was something that people were more patient with yeah. um, where now it's all about instant gratification and we need to get to sort of, you know, the big sort of climactic moment as soon as possible or the, the set piece as, as soon as possible. As possible. Exactly. Yeah. And just bombard yeah. you with it where like Laura, like truly takes its time to sort of just kind of wash over you and sort of involve you in the mystery of it all. And like, I, I just kind of weirdly miss that and, and slow cinema, there's a place for it still, obviously. And it kind of feels like the place that it's more most accepted is in the festival setting or yeah. you know in some fall movies but yeah that's i mean i love that you guys are just like kind of like completely changing it up and you know watching something that is considered classic or maybe under the radar or you know just just something that is is not necessarily of the last 10 years, which is, which is nice. So like, like, again, like those are like, even anatomy of a murder, like is, is a phenomenal piece of filmmaking. And I wish more courtroom dramas were like that today. And they're just, they're not. So. Totally. I I, I don't know what it is. I found, find myself preferring and loving a lot of the older films than a lot of the contemporary stuff. And I think part of it is Although they are a bit of more of a slow burn, I find the dialogue and script so much more um, gratifying as a listener and witty and challenging. 
even though maybe the plot is moving slowly, the character development is going and this this dialogue is just on point. Like a, another example was we just watched All About Eve and like it's just zingers after the, the dialogue and the different dynamics of relationships as people come in and enter and leave certain situations. It was just, I just prefer the older movies. I don't, I don't know why that is. I, I can't put my finger on it, but I've been thinking about it a lot because they, te- I tend to lean towards the older movies for that slow burn kind of purpose. Well, and to your point um, with the slow burn and kind of like you get that end gratification. We, we just watched um, the third man as well. Nice. Same, kind of, same kind of thing where you, where you, you know, lots of character building, a lot of intrigue, not a lot happening though at the same time, story-wise, still kind of just looking for what's happening, what's going on. But then you, you, you know, you get that, and I don't want to spoil it. Um, you know, it's, it's fairly new. It's only from, the- <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's just that final reveal and it just blows me away too, how that's still something that's, you know, I don't want to say stolen, but borrowed, um, today but you know whereas you get that final reveal after an hour and a half in that movie you get three of those in the same movie uh, you know an hour and a half time now so mm-hmm. it's like i don't know yeah. I, I find that yeah I, I like the slower pace i like the the kind of one reveal i don't need to be bombarded i you know i don't we there's a time and place for michael bay i guess but <laughs> well the minimalist quality right in 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 you know classic films and, and again the plots weren't as convoluted. They were concise. They were structured in a way that was simplistic and under and able to understand, but also still so rich and fulfilling. And like, again, you think of the third man where like the whole film, this one character looms large and you never see them until that third act. And like, they're, they're always, but they're always there. And like that, that image is so iconic of that reveal and like the way that it's sort of framed in the composition. And that's the image you take away from the movie. But yeah, you think it's like, that doesn't come up until like the final act of the film. And it's such a a pivotal moment of the movie, but the whole movie is amazing. Exactly. Exactly. The pace has changed quite significantly in film. Oh, totally. And yeah. like, I mean, you guys uh, just talking to you guys um, and I, it's just, I'm so bad at it and I want to get better at doing what you guys are doing and blending. Like, I, I guess for Eric and I, like uh, for me, I get maybe not even burnt out, but like we reviewed six movies last week. Right. And like for, I keep, I, I, part of me is like, I need to keep up with everything modern coming out because that's how i'm going to be relevant on this show or in our review show that i'm almost you know there's so many things now too that i just feel like yes film is number one for me but i also like gaming i also like comics i also like you know sports i also like going and spending time with nevis outside and like all these different things it's like like, yeah um, like yeah low pretty low but like um yeah um so it's just one of those things where i'm like uh, you know is it gonna be gi joe tonight on a rewatch or is it gonna be the third man (laughs) yeah i mean i love the third man too i watched it in in school and um you know film noir was one of my um favorite classes in film school as well with like maltese falcon and i really love uh kiss me deadly i have the criterion because it's one of my favorites um um 
and yeah, like I just, and I say this to Eric all the time. I'm like, I got to do the thing that you guys are doing. And I know it's not always one modern, one classic. It's sometimes two classics. It's just whatever you guys are feeling, but like putting a goal in my head, that's at least, at least once a week, put on something that came out before, you know, 1970 or 1980 that, um, I haven't seen before or something like that. Cause like, that is my big making this come full circle of like what my, or what our, gaps in our movie history is and i feel like if you anything after what i said my birthday in the 80s i'm like i'm pretty good and people go matt knows a lot about movies but then i'm like yeah but i have this huge blind spot of like modern cinema is the thing that i'm really up on and it's just i watched a lot in film school and i know of it and i know of the filmmakers and the movies but like i need to make a more conscious effort and it's really cool talking to you guys because i feel like it is inspiring to um try to put that into the rotation. Cause I do watch a lot of movies that we aren't reviewing. It's just a lot of times it's like, okay, Matt, you don't need to rewatch the MCU again right now. Maybe wait, you know, a year in between watching it again. Uh, there's so much of it now. You don't need to rewatch it before the next thing. And, um, and I guess some of it is comfort food and junk food too, where you're like, sometimes you don't want to sit down and watch like, and pay attention to something. You just want something comforting on, but um, like you said, re with the challenging yourself, whether it was in the dialogue or just the movie itself, like watching, I think not to say all those movies are challenging, but obviously they're more of a challenge than some of the modern stuff that is just throwaway, you know, whether it's trash or it's good stuff too. But I think having a, a mix of both of those is important as a, as a film fan that I, uh, struggle with a little bit of just motivating myself to be like, I'm sure they're all fantastic and I would love them. It's just, you know, getting in the mood to watch them, I guess, for me, I've struggled with. That's part of it. But I think also, you know, when you sit through a movie that's not good and, you know, Eric, you were just talking, it's hard, right? It's hard to get motivated. And if you watch a bad film from whatever decade, you're like, okay, I can't sit through another one. Like It doesn't matter what time period. Yeah. So you really got to find the gems. And that's the only thing sometimes that keeps me going because we... We watch some bad movies. Don't get us wrong. We're not yeah, yeah. watching the classics. We watch like an American pickle. Uh, oh yeah, it's not. It's not great. No, not good. Or like no. Gorge of the Jungle with yeah, yeah. Frazier. And sometimes those can be fun, but then sometimes it does burn you out because I feel exactly. like we have that a lot too. Where you know whether it's during a festival or you know even we were going to go see Black Widow uh, again in IMAX, but after and even we, even after movies I like, sometimes I'm burnt out of just like. Uh, I don't know if I can, especially rewatching something, but especially after a bad movie, I feel like there are numerous times where we're like, let's cancel the next thing. I just don't have the energy right now. That movie took so much out of me because I did not like it that I can't sit through another movie, even if I might like that next movie. Yeah, that's totally understandable. Yeah, I get that. Um, On the other front, for me, just to wrap kind of this up, I'll quickly uh, say what I've been watching on TV. Um. I, I tweeted it. Um, I'm allowed to talk about a little bit of it. I've watched a lot of Ted Lasso season two. Um, and it took me a while to get back into it, but I think I kind of had a similar problem with the first season where, you know, I had to get like acclimated to, to Ted especially. And then he kind of wins you over in that first season by episode, you know, three or four and his infectious like positivity. You go, Oh, you know what? This guy isn't annoying. He's actually wonderful. And I do like him a lot. And I feel like in season two, um, 
I, I can't talk specifics past the first episode, I think, but um, the first episode I really did not like. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> I loved that first season and thought it was so like wonderful and such a, a infectious burst of positivity during a very shitty time. And I can't believe we've gotten two seasons of Ted Lasso since, you know, uh, the pandemic even started. Um, I think it maybe came out right before it. I forget, but um, season two struggled for a bit for me, but then finally now is finding its legs um, and getting back to how I felt that first season. I just feel like some of the B and C plots in season two, um, I'm just like, I don't know if I need to know more about this person or get to the minutia of their lives. I'm like, I'm here for Ted Lasso and, um, and Roy Kent and like, and have you guys watched Ted Lasso at all? Um, Kevin Ree? We have not yet. Yeah, it's great. The first wow. season is wonderful. It's so it it, it it's so good. Um, and then I had the similar problem with Dave on FX, um, the little Dicky show. Um, loved the first season. Season two took us, you know, three four episodes to finally you know get our hooks in us in season two, where it was just felt weirdly. Yeah, disjointed at the beginning. And I know that was kind of trying to mirror him as a character and as a person, not knowing how to write his album and, and just kind of being a fuck up in general. So like um it took a while, but still really enjoying that. Rick and Morty is amazing. I'm and continuously watching Rick and Morty every Sunday night at eleven. I haven't watched the newest episode, but um it's my favorite thing nevis falls asleep on sunday nights and i get to watch rick and morty with headphones in and try not to wake her up by laughing um and uh also we just finished two episodes of a new hbo show called the white lotus uh which is the mike white show and eric Fred Hershinger's in this fucking show. He's in like eight things we've seen in the last week. It's this younger actor that he was in the Fear Street trilogy. He was in Woman in the Window. Italian Studies. In, uh, uh, Italian Studies. He was in Underground Railroad. And he's showing up everywhere. Who and I'm wa- Woman in the Window. He was the son. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Talk so about a bad was, movie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is a bad movie. <laughs> it's not a good movie at all. And no, um, uh, and so he's that kid, and he's popped up in like everything I've watched lately. Literally, I pop on something, and he just shows up, and I'm like terrified because I'm just like, "How are you in everything right now?" And I, I do like him a lot because he has an interesting kind of like delivery, and like, um, but he's in this White Lotus show, anyways. Mike White, um who people might know from survivor or he, the writer as of school of rock and, and he co-wrote school of rock. Right. Yeah. And, and then year um, of the dog and things like yeah, that. Um, and was on two seasons of survivor. Um, he wrote and directed this series and it's kind of this eccentric, weird murder mystery, uh, kind of show that takes place on a Hawaiian resort and, uh, Steve Zahn's in it and, uh, Connie Britton and, uh, Alexandra Daddario and um, like a, a interesting cast. Jennifer Coolidge is on it. Uh, as Je- right, right? Jennifer Coolidge, uh, Stifler's mom, is there, and um, she's in a lot of it. And I love Jennifer Coolidge, but like in small doses. And uh, there are times where I'm like, oh, why are we back here? And it's just. It's weird. We watched the first two episodes right before we started recording as we were like eating dinner. Um, and uh, we just wanted another because we've been on an HBO kick just trying to I, I do want to get to the Sopranos eventually. But like uh, just with their newer stuff, because we loved Mayor of Easttown and um, and just trying to keep up with some of the more recent HBO stuff. So we popped this on and Mike White's one of those guys that's always 
kind of hit or miss for me. Um, and it, it's not quite working because I don't know where it's going, but like they kind of reveal that someone on the resort dies and that, you know, they're alluding to it's this one character, but it's obviously not going to be that because, you know, they show him being kind of a prick in the airport at the beginning. And you're like, you assume it's his wife, but who's Alexandra Daddario, but I'm just like, it's probably the reveal is going to be, it's not her. It's someone else at the resort. So it does that thing where it's like a little bit obvious in its storytelling, where it's planting all these seeds of like why characters hate each other or are obsessed with each other. And it's like, you can kind of see the writing like on the screen, like someone overly plotting, like, you know, each episode is going to give you little clues on why that character is obsessed with that person or why that person doesn't like that person and all the people at the resort kind of intertwining. And I think that actors in the series are really carrying it so far. Um, but I, I'm, I just don't know how to feel about it after these first two episodes. And I'm like, can I spend six hours just knowing, okay, someone on the resort dies and I, I'm assuming someone murders someone. But like um, in these first two episodes, you don't really get much of that other than the plotting of like, you know, this person might have something against this person and, and stuff like that. But I love Steve Zahn though too. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, so he's great. And the whole cast is great. So, so you're I've, saying it's not as good as Broken Lizards Club Dread then? No, no. I mean, there you go. Awesome. Um, uh, I I haven't watched Club Dread in a while, but uh, I remember it being that first Broken Lizard movie where I'm like, did I like that? I don't know. After Super Troopers, it was like their first thing after Super Troopers, right? Well, it just goes to show um, you that Knives Out is becoming like it's yes, influencing yeah. a lot of these new whodunit movies or TV shows with Werewolves Within with White Lotus. And there's a couple other ones as well that are that are on the way. So it's just interesting that that's, you know, coming back into fashion again. And I love I I love that stuff, and I think Nevis does too, which is why she was like, I want. She started watching it. She's like, Would you watch this with me? And I'm like, I'll I'll give anything at least one episode, usually two episodes, especially in like a six episode thing. And now I've watched two, so I'm probably gonna like the same thing happened with the flight attendant, where we watched two episodes. I'm like, I don't even think I like this, but I'm like. Now I'm in sort of invested because we kind of got half the story and I'm like, I just kind of have to see where it goes and hate watch the rest of it. And I feel like that's kind of where I'm at with this. Well, because of like, you, there's a season two of the flight attendant coming, so. which is the, which is the dumbest thing ever. It does not need a season two. Like you don't need like when they're talking about mayor of East town, getting season two also doesn't make any sense. Why they made big little lies. Season two also doesn't make any sense. True detective. Um, true detective after the first season just season two was awful and so hbo i mean they've been they're trying so hard and we talked a little bit about last of us and um to get you know i think they want ongoing series to kind of take you know everyone by storm and mayor of east town was that true detective was that and their mini series originally and then they go can we make a season two out of this and you're probably like maybe don't and and now since game of thrones left they're looking for that big new franchise which they're hoping the last of us is and i really think that there's potential there but um because it's not westworld that's for sure (laughs) no westworld did not work so um that's kind of what i've been reading i i got the new tarantino once upon a time in hollywood novel it finally came in eric did you get your copy yeah yeah Um, somewhere there um so we're gonna try to uh i want to read that i'm I'm curious to see the differences from the movie and, and just see what his writing style as a novel is like um and uh we'll probably review that and um i've been playing on playstation ratchet and clank which is a lot of fun which i'll talk about on a a future show because like i want to cinematic video games is something i want to bring 
more into this show. So that's kind of what I've been consuming. Um, anything else on your guys end or do you guys want to move on uh, to trailers? Eric, what else have you been watching? You mentioned I, the, the one cosmic sin. Yes. But- <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go on on a high note. Um, the dead zone is getting a new uh, Blu-ray release. The David Cronenberg uh, movie oh. uh, on July 27th. And it's the first time that it's gotten a proper North American release on a, a, a single disc because it came out last year uh, on a Paramount release through like a five Stephen King collection. Um, so this is a collector's edition through scream factory. And um it's one of those movies that doesn't get talked a lot about anymore in terms of like one of the better Stephen King adaptations, because obviously when you think of like Stephen mm-hmm. King adaptations, now it's usually like Shawshank Redemption and the green model. Frank of course I have that on Blu-ray. Lisey's story. You, you laugh, but it's, I, I, I'm a sucker for the Vestron video collection. Um, but it's just exciting as well to see, we talked about this on a, a a show not too long ago um, that Cronenberg, a lot of his stuff is getting revisited and sort of reappraised. And with both Shivers getting a Blu-ray release and Criterion releasing Crash and now The Dead Zone, it's just nice to see people kind of like, I mean, obviously you can't not mention him without, you know, the phrase body horror. And I think like it's appropriate that, you know, his films have stood the test of time when it comes to that genre and sort of exploring, you know, the, the, the illness from within and the idea that, you know, the thing that's most threatening is what comes from within inside you. And that disease is the most scary thing on earth. And, you know, Matt, having watched the fly last year, like the idea of, you know, death and decay, uh, being something so terrifying in any horror movie, um, that, that was a blind spot for me, which we finally, or I finally watched. Eric showed it to me. It's great. Yeah. yeah. And, and so yeah. it's, it's just, yeah, the dead zone is one of those movies where it's like, and it's also has one of Christopher Walken's best performances, I think. And especially like as a leading man, cause obviously he's, you know, a great supporting uh, actor. And anytime you put him in something that is even bad, he's like bacon where he kind of makes it a little bit more palatable or better, or at least more interesting. Um, and just the idea that it was shot in St. Catharines, Ontario. And, um, you know, a lot of the cast is Canadian. It's it's just one of those movies that um, I think because it's also kind of episodic with, you know, this character going through sort of different storylines and like the Martin Sheen stuff obviously was brought up a lot uh, during the Trump administration and sort of that character kind of being almost like a proto-Trump. Um, but it's a great film. It's one of those movies that I think that more people will hopefully discover with the new Blu-ray release. Uh, and, you know, like early Cronenberg, like the tax shelter version of Cronenberg, whether it be, you know, the brood or scanners or shivers, um, you know, the dead zone was kind of his first sort of attempt at getting into studio stuff because it was a paramount release. And it's just also funny thinking like, you know, he was given the opportunity to direct both top gun and flash dance and just didn't know what to do with those movies. So. <laughs> oh, wow. I had no idea that he was given. I mean, I think he made the right choice to leave those aside. I don't think he would have done a. Yeah. He got offered a lot of Hollywood stuff at one He point, did. Right? And there, there was like a Star point. Wars. Was, well, yeah. Lucas yeah. wanted oh, wow. him or Lynch to do Return of the Jedi. Just uh, wild. <laughs> yeah. Which would have been Whoa. way different movies. Uh, yeah. But, but the other thing is like Cronenberg wanted to sell out like he even like he was going to direct total recall and he was in pre-production on that movie when 
he left because of creative differences and he still does to this day does not talk about why he left the film. But if you've seen total recall, there are moments in that movie where like Arnold Schwarzenegger puts the sort of the device up his nose and pulls out the tracking device that are very much sort of, you know, his influence on that film that Paul Verhoeven kind of picked up and, and ran with, but Cronenberg, like, couldn't get a movie made with both Denzel Washington and Tom Cruise based on a Robert Ludlum novel called the matter easy circle. And if he couldn't get that movie made, it's just like, it's astonishing that, you know, he's coming back now and shooting a film in Greece. So I'm excited to see what crimes of the future is definitely going to be like. Yeah. I can't wait for it. Uh, Kevin Ree, anything else you guys consumed or watched that you guys wanted to bring up or. Yeah, I had one um, only because I didn't realize there were so many versions of this film until last night. So uh, we watched Blade Runner, the final cut last night. So the 2000 yeah. version. So that was the first time I'd seen that cut. Every time I think I'd watched the director's cut um, okay. from 91, 92. It gets a little confusing. The, of like the, which the one's theatrical which, cut like, is the one with the horrible Harrison Ford voiceover. voiceover. Okay, sorry. Then it, then it was the theatrical cut. <laughs> that I had seen yeah. in the past. And so this was the first time that I watched it without the narration. And, oh, my God, I already liked the movie, and it brought it to a whole other level. Again, more along the lines of, like, a 2001. It's more cerebral, more open to interpretation. But yeah, with the 2007 version very clearly was re-edited to have a lot of the scenes look more modernized. But it was just beautiful, and it was – on Apple TV with our Dolby Atmos speaker. So it was the first time I got to hear it properly. It, it, rewatching it kind of blew me away. I, I love that movie. Yes, Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision, the way I love it. Um, yeah, I have a Dolby Atmos soundbar too. So I try to like, I'm so anal when it comes to what I'm watching of like, what's in Dolby Vision, what's in Dolby Atmos. And like, yeah, Blade Runner looks and sounds amazing in that, even on digital on Apple TV. And um Oh, I was going to bring something up, but we can't because <laughs> we recently right. talked about um, Blade Runner 2049, but that'll be available for you guys to listen to soon where we bring that up. We can't talk. But about I love that. Now. I mean, that uh, um, again, like the, the director's cut and the final cut, um, you know, you look at the scene where Rucker Howard's uh, Roy Batty dies yeah. and how poetic it is. But then in the theatrical cut of that film, you have the voiceover narration overlap it and yeah. it's just like Roy died. And that's when I realized that I don't know if precious. I've ever seen the theatrical. Well, the theatrical cut, cut like- also has footage from the shining in it. So Ridley um, asked Stanley Kubrick, if he could borrow some B roll of sort of the, the roaming Hills section right, right, that's right. in the theatrical. That's at cut. the very, in the uh, dream, in the dream sequence. No, no, right no. At, at the end? end, at the end, at the very they, end when they're so, driving right, away or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Cause at the end, of the director's cut in the final cut it's the elevator then the doors close and that's it and then where the, the, the theatrical the, cut the it's the happy yeah. ending where they're driving in the hills and that's all from the shining oh, yeah wow. i remember yes and then i in film school our final like um exam was on the final cut of blade runner so that was pretty dope got to watch that in class and then do our final exam on the final cut of because when did Final Cut come out? It was like 2007 because it was the yeah, same year that been American right. Gangster came out. Because I would have graduated <laughs> from film school probably right around there a little couple years after. So that would have just come out a couple years before, which is probably why my you know, film teacher was nuts for it and said, you have to watch this. Well, it's <laughs> all about the production way. design of that yeah. movie, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you can tell that that film – 
has influenced decades of film and television and music videos since. And yeah. like, you know, trying to replicate the replicants um, in, in one way or another, uh, it, it's it's never really been surpassed i mean no ridley scott you know for his inconsistencies and we'll talk about you know the trailer I, for it's a good transition the last duel. if you wanted to yeah um yeah. It, you know you look at his movies like alien and blade runner are still you know like his top tier movies and yeah absolutely and you can yeah. tell that those films have inspired everybody from michael bay to denny Villeneuve, and there's no denying you know his influence as a commercial filmmaker Oh, absolutely. And, and right before we actually use that as a great transition, maybe. Um, yeah, I've had an itch to rewatch Final Cut and 2049 because I haven't watched 2049 since that first IMAX showing of it. And I, I know it would look gorgeous on 4K and with Dolby Atmos and, and, and stuff like that. But it, it was one of those like perfect experiences to me that I almost don't want to like ruin it by watching it again. Because like, I, I don't know, I love 2049 so much in that first IMAX screening and um and it is a dense heady sci-fi movie that like you do need to be in a specific mood for at close to three hours is it two yeah. and a half or close to three it's like one uh, like, I think yeah yeah, yeah 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 and I've just had this it's they're sitting there and I'm like I, I really want to watch um both of those have had an itch but again talking about rewatches versus trying to watch something that we haven't seen have but, you rewatched um, a soldier matter do you have the itch to watch soldier with kurt russell because it also takes place in the same universe yeah right it does right waylon yutani is in uh, no, no am tyrell. I thinking of tyrell, tyrell waylon you there and there's all the rumor or theories that alien and blade runner are kind of connected yeah. as well right but soldier sucks um, yeah soldier is yeah i don't know if i've ever even as much seen as i it. love kurt russell that, that another paul ws anderson movie that is terrible yeah. i love kurt russell um ridley scott yeah so let's move on to um trailers and we're kind of we're not we're how much time do you guys have like i don't want to keep you guys up too late either you guys gotta work got, and stuff but, yeah we got time um, no we'll try to we can instead of going through one by one we can kind of just you know, talk about what we want to talk about with these trailers of what we dug and what we didn't. So uh, a lot of, I mean, today had a lot of trailers specifically. I kept adding stuff as I was prepping the show. Um, I prepped a whole bunch yesterday, but today we got trailers for Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. Um, we got Jackass Forever. Uh, uh, James Wan is back with another horror movie that I'm sure will turn into a franchise because that's just what that guy does. Or it's already uh, a part or, of a franchise yeah. and we don't even know it yet. No, exactly. that, that also could be it the devil maybe made him do it um malignant as well as uh we got a i watched the blue bayou trailer which just premiered at can um as well which looks great um we have trailers for uh turning red and Encanto to disney animated movies turning red being uh the domi she uh toronto based uh pixar movie which is really dope uh and also uh, there was a Korg and technically Deadpool entering the MCU in a promo for Free Guy. So a lot of shit over the last, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you know, two weeks or so since we last recorded. Daddy made you some content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess let's let's start with Last Duel because um, we were just talking about Ridley Scott. Um, my shout out there goes to the mullet of Matt Damon because he has a sick mullet and everyone has dope horrible goatees in in the film as well and it looks like medieval times dinner in theater the movie circa 2002 yeah yeah um i don't know what i haven't talked about this with you eric or or 
Kevin and Ree either. But um, Sir Ridley Scott has two films coming out with this year with um, The Last Duel and the Gucci movie. And with Adam Driver. Um, yeah, both, both with Adam Driver. Um, to me, just seeing Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in this movie uh, was jarring. And Well, when I I'm, think Frenchman, I think yeah. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon <laughs> and the Crusades. Yeah. So like, the, it's just perfect stuff. Matt mobility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Matt and Ben. <laughs> God, it's uh, I. I they don't do know have some to... goodwill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, I, I love you. Um, yeah, I don't. You're gonna get one of two Ridley Scotts, right? Like, and I mean, that's we talked about. You know, his stuff that has will live on for eternity for being like just classics. But you know, modern Ridley Scott is either gonna give you, you know, a complete banger or something that's either completely forgettable or horrible. So. Um, I don't know if it's ever horrible. Maybe, maybe that's extreme, but, um, just middle of the road. Yes, exactly. Like for more forgettable than anything. And he just loves working though. (laughs) Like, I mean, he's in his eighties now and, and you can tell like, he's just keeps on going. I mean, he's already working on the, uh, Napoleon movie with Joaquin Phoenix. So it's kind of like, you know, like he's just, he's, he's going, I think the most interesting thing about this is that it's basically taking from Rashomon. And like, that's like the whole point of like, you know, seeing the same story from multiple perspectives of this horrible crime. Um, And also that, you know, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are co-writers on it, but Nicole Hall of Center also uh, has a writing credit on the movie as well. Yeah. Kevin Ree, what's you guys vibe on this? (laughs) When I watched the trailer, I I thought it was going to be a little more like, you know, like you said, Eric, like the medieval movies that came out around the 2000s. I, I think it's going to be middle of the road. I got a little bit of a a feeling that he was doing this more to have a central female character. I don't know. It felt like he was trying to do something in the Me Too era of film that he hasn't really done before. Yeah. Opposed to really being passionate about the story. That was just my read on it, though. I will say I it, like it could be really, really good. The trailer didn't show enough. To me, I honestly didn't even know Ben Affleck was in it. I, I thought it was Matt <laughs> He just Damon. disappears. Oh, he just I disappears yeah. in the role. That, that blonde kind of <laughs> yeah. friar I feel like these guys are all auditioning to be the next front singer for Papa Roach or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With their, yeah, with their goatees. Yeah. Um, um, but it could be good. It could, and I, didn't, I didn't understand that there was that Rashomon aspect where you would see – the crime or, or what the scenario from different perspectives. I thought it was just more going to be a, he said, she said kind of duel. Mm-hmm. That was my yeah. reading on it. Yeah. Kev, you're about the same. Yeah. Yeah. Just rough. Looking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. Ridley's one of those guys like, yeah, I love him. He's one of the best of all time, but because he does so much that like, I never know which Ridley Scott uh, we're going to get. So, um, well, also yeah. just thinking the idea, like, you know, this year is the 30th anniversary for Thelma and Louise and Thelma and Louise mm. was a very pivotal film in the early nineties for, you know, female centric storytelling, even though it was still directed by a guy. Um, and, and, and to Ree's point, like it is sort of looking at the me too era of, of filmmaking. And I think it was at least wise of them to not just have a film credited to Damon and Affleck Affleck, as writers, because I mean, Ben Affleck's track record as a person is a little bit spotty uh, and his brother is as well. But um, 
I'm I yeah, like Ridley Scott's one of those guys is always hit or miss, but at the same time, I just like that like Steven Soderbergh, he's always working. And it's almost like Ridley Scott's now, you know, racing against the clock um in a lot of ways and like you think like okay who's gonna go out first is it gonna be him or clint eastwood because like both guys like you know 80s and 90s and they're still directing films and it's just like constantly why like you don't have to guys anymore and and i mean like a lot of people are also talking about like oh this kind of should be you know ridley scott's last movie because his first film was the duelists with harvey keitel and keith carradine where i mean that movie poetic to end on the last duel yeah yeah Yeah. but that movie's a lot of fun because it's basically these two guys who can't put aside their egos and have three duels that continually Mm -hmm. like injuring themselves beyond belief and again, you know, nobody would have thought that uh, Harvey Keitel and Keith Carradine would be great Frenchmen. So I think Ridley Scott does have this weird track record where, sure, you know, like casting Americans in French roles. But I mean, again, that's just common in American productions of, of historical epics. Yeah, yeah. Um, out of these on here, I mean, like the two Disney things, like Turning Red is more interesting to me because of the Toronto setting. I think all of us probably... I don't know what your guys' thoughts on animated movies in general, if you if you vibe with them or not. Oh, but, yeah. I, I love yeah. animated movies. I think you do too, right? Yeah. 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 Like one of my Pixar's movies is um, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yes, I yeah. agree with animation, that completely. If it's done well, is top-notch. Yeah. Like you can do yeah. anything with it, right? So and, and Pixar, I mean, and then just seeing a Pixar movie um, taking place in Toronto, and I know people are kind of poking fun at that, and, and Torontonians just latching on to that, but like that is really fucking cool. Like, I don't know, like that, to me, like, there it, so many movies are shot in Toronto, um, but to have a movie on this scale being a Disney Pixar animated f- film that's literally going to take place in Toronto, um, I think is, is, is really, really cool. So um, I think it looks more interesting than something like Luca. Eric, I know me and you talked about that. We weren't super hot on Luca. We thought it was kind of, you know, bottom tier, middle of the tier Pixar kind of thing. Because Pixar is one of those, I, I wanted to go back and rewatch um, everything because some of them I hadn't seen since I was a kid with a, a Bugs Life and, and different mm-hmm. things like that. And uh, I think from an emotional and just storytelling standpoint they are at like and speaking of spider-verse kev and and mitchell's versus the machines i think sony is finally coming in and and having you know strong competition against pixar for you know innovating in animation and because pixar's you know style has evolved but it's still you can tell a pixar movie sometimes visually with things like soul and inside out and different ways they can get creative and colorful and really interesting but i was blown away with both spider-verse and mitchell's versus the machine for taking that 2d and 3d animation and kind of really rivaling pixar which also having a strong emotional core and yeah luca just felt kind of generic to me um and that's why something like turning red feels like okay this is uh, even from this one trailer backstreet backstreet boys or nsync larger than life come on no i just i blanked on which song um was in it again there's so but, many hits um yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> we're all bangers but yeah. but yeah i'm uh i'm looking forward to turning red and then kanto quickly for me um i'm like dude is anyone but lin-manuel miranda like writing musicals now or yeah. no i'm yeah, like I, with hollywood the guy is great but like uh, he has vivo coming up on on netflix which is a sony movie but looks more like they're you know, kind of sort of generic Sony stuff. But then I, I did see a behind the scenes 
day of Vivo. And um, again, I'm poking fun at Encanto and Vivo, both being Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, kind of music and stuff like that, where I'm just like, and after we talked about In the Heights, I'm just like, there's got to be other people writing Well, he's also right? writing The <laughs> like, Little Mermaid uh, yeah. soundtrack yeah. as well. So. Yeah, and he did stuff for, obviously, Moana and, and other Disney stuff, too. So And uh, Mary Poppins, which we brought up, the Returns one he was He's everywhere. <laughs> he literally is. And the Vivo stuff, they're doing a little bit of that Spider-Verse and Mitchell's versus the Machine stuff in that movie. But, sorry, getting back to Encanto and, and Turning Red. Um, yeah, the Toronto thing is what interests me the most from, from Turning Red. Well, with Turning Red, I, I appreciate that Pixar is trying to tell more unique niche stories. And it's yeah. important, though, that the setting reflects those stories. So choosing somewhere like Toronto, I mean, I know that the um, primary producer, what's her name again? Sorry. Dome Shi. Yeah, she, she's from Toronto. So, of course, yeah. it makes sense. But it also just makes sense for the story that they're trying to tell, I think. Right. Because we have such a rich Chinese yeah. you know, history in Toronto, huge Chinatown. So it it fits with the overall narrative. It's not like just choosing a location because you happen yeah. to be there. Yeah. And it's very personal to her. Right. And just having, you know, an Asian woman like directing a Pixar movie and from Toronto, I think is just like really dope and, um, and so great to see. Um, and then uh, I don't know your guys' thoughts, but I'm so pumped for Jackass. <laughs> like I just I, I I like I I unironically tweeted cinema when like I saw it, and I just those movies are so nostalgic for me. And um, I growing up in the era of Jackass as a teenager was just the best in recording our own stupid stunts and just being literal jackasses. And just those movies are such a guilty pleasure to me that I just like. Uh, they, I think they still hold up. All three of them are a blast, and I uh, seeing them as like old men doing it is somehow even funnier to me. But I'm pumped for it, Kevin Ree. I don't know if you guys are jackass people or not. <laughs> I, I mean, I I guess yeah. Like I watched them when I was younger. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I I think I might be a little bit the opposite. I, I kind of see a bit of a sadness. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Oh, totally. Watching yeah. you know these adult men just still getting hit by bulls. Kind of like, uh, are we famous yet? Like, we don't need to. Are, are we still relevant? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, I'm excited. I don't know. I, I wasn't big into Jackass growing up. I think it might have been a little bit too mature for me at the time. Like, it was on MTV, and I don't think my parents would have approved to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I did watch Jackass 3D. When that came out, I was yeah. you know, just going. I think one of the, the best, best uses, uses of 3D. 3D. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But I. I if you take it for what it is, it's a fun movie, right? You can't yeah, go into yeah. it expecting. Oh no, it is lowest common denominator exactly. of just like, yeah, the pure, the worst parts of you know, but culture. That, that style of comedy too has also made like a, a bit of a comeback with Eric Andre. So like, we yeah, the he's in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that one kind of does a, it's, a, I would say it's a little bit more wholesome, a little bit more in the vein of like just for laughs than it would be for the jackass type system. We brought up just for laughs in our review for that, but in a very negative way. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, but, I didn't love that trip, but yeah. um, yeah, it looks, it looks pretty interesting. I, that scene at the end, the last with the bear, with the bear, yeah. I was like, I had to cover my face because I couldn't believe that someone would even pretend to do that. Yeah, it's, I'm assuming it's a very nice bear, but like, uh, still, I, I it's just they put that guy. What's his name? Um, 
uh, kind of weaselly guy. They always make him do like the worst shit, uh, but he's the guy in the chair. And um, yeah, Eric, I know you're kind of a fan of Jackass. I, too. I am. I really <laughs> do love, I mean, set pieces are, are my Bam Mangera kind of thing. So, um, but I, I, yeah, I, I think it's, it's just interesting looking at, this and and looking at this movie specifically it's like the jackass films all of a sudden became the before trilogy or the up series in their sort of every 10 years (laughs) quality like even looking at johnny knoxville now as this old man who has to be the performing (laughs) clown and and entertain us still in a way that it's like it'll probably end up killing him um there's which i think people did get seriously injured both him and steve-o did right and then you you mentioned bittersweet sweet about it all in, yeah. in a weird way that it's like wow they're entertaining us for what end like you, you don't have to do this anymore but okay and and i've always found the stuff that is most sort of you know flinch inducing and and just cringeworthy isn't the big stuff it's the paper cuts it's like you know the breathing of like sweat that's been dripping down some guy's back or drinking the water that's sweat like that's that's the, the grossest that gets, shit that the gets paper to me cut, more yeah. than like you know somebody being launched in a porta potty and seeing you know like in real time all of the crap hit them in the face like the paper cut thing i just can't watch it's just too yeah. it's too visceral <laughs> Yeah, it really is. And oh my god. I forgot I went to the premiere of Jackass 3D in Toronto and then they had an after party at you know what Young and Dundas it used to be the Hard Rock Cafe, right? Wasn't it? Yeah. Or Hard Rock, yeah. yeah. And they had a the after party at the Hard Rock upstairs and I remember partying with um Johnny Knoxville and Jeff Tremaine and it was just it was such a weird surreal experience where we have these photos. I still have it. I should share it when we do uh, maybe i'll make it the thumbnail for this episode but like yes, actually i should put you guys in it too but unless you don't want your photo put johnny knoxville in me uh, well, you should do that my... for the jackass forever review yeah maybe i'll hold it for that because there's a photo of me and, and johnny knoxville and and i have another photo of him and my friend ryan um uh and he's holding ryan is holding johnny knoxville like a baby and uh, <laughs> and and i just remember being at that party and they were buying shot like shots for everyone and um but they would make people do jackass shots so they were tequila shots um but instead of sucking on the lemon, they made people squirt it into their eye oh my God. Um, as, as they were doing the tequila shot. And, and Johnny Knoxville just pulled out his credit card and started buying everyone these shots. And it was just like, he lived up to what you'd imagine those guys were like. And then, I mean, Jeff Tremaine is, he's just the director of the movie. So he was just kind of hanging out, but he did the stuff with, with Knoxville. And I'm like, and I looked, I'm like, Oh my God, that was 11 years ago. And I'm like, wow. what the hell is happening? <laughs> I think um, it's also time to do a revisit of uh, Sofia Coppola's Somewhere because Chris sure. Pontius is in that. So, oh right, that is bizarre. Um, flying through other stuff, um, Malignant, which is James Wan's new horror movie. Um, obviously, the man has created Insidious, Saw, The Conjuring. Um, and now, you know, he skipped out on directing Conjuring Three. The Devil Made Me Do It. But he does have Malignant coming this year, which ironically has the devil making someone do something. Yeah, so, yeah, good point. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like James Wan. Obviously, I'm a, I, I make fun of myself for being a big Saw fan. And I think like it's amazing 
what that guy can do with horror franchises that just con- continuously making something that just you know blows up and everyone there's seven sequels from each franchise that he kind of creates so eric you made a uh you know a comment do you think this is secretly po- like a conjuring movie is that what you were kind of alluding to I, or i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised um yeah no, i think this is original or at least an original ip yeah. or an idea but um at the same time i could see them reworking it to fit in to the conjuring universe or insidious or something to reboot another uh idea and and it's just interesting as well because like even with you know aquaman which has that trench sequence you know they were going to spin that off into a movie and then they just canceled it recently so um the malignant it's going to be interesting just in terms of its release because it's september 10th and it's right before the festival season and you think that something like that or just as festival season is beginning so you think like something like that might play tiff but it seems like you know that release date might have doomed it yeah, which we've seen with like it chapter two and one and two, I think had that similar release date, right? Yeah. Where they were like um, right at the beginning of September, so it seems like a popular time for horror movies. But not to use them as like a launch pad at a midnight madness or something is, is interesting. But um, Kevin and Rhea, I don't know what you're th- like. Are you guys fans of like the Conjuring movies or any of James Wan's stuff, or are you interested in this at all? Like I've seen the Conjuring series or like the first couple. I didn't watch like the, the mainline ones. Yeah. The spinoffs from that and i've seen the- annabelle comes home surprisingly good really i just want to throw that out there it's the I, it's my favorite conjuring movie like but the all. first annabelle is terrible the, yes okay. and the second one's not bad but okay. anyway sorry didn't mean to cut no, you off no not at all um i the saw franchise obviously like when it came out i thought it was amazing i i think the first one is amazing for i still love the first yeah. one yeah yeah that's awesome I Fuck you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I have people on my side for once. <laughs> I, I would give it a shot. I, I'm not expecting much out of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, like watching the trailer, it seems to now follow a lot of the tropes that he has created. Like I remember when we watched The Conjuring, I thought he made use of presence very well. So the scene, oh, it's not a spoiler, the scene where they're outside and she's hanging up sheets on the clothing line. There's a ghost there, but you don't know until the sheet blows away and then you yeah. see one of the figure. I saw a couple of scenes like that where, you know, the sofa is lifting, the cushion is just barely lifting because the pressure has been relieved. So there is some presence there. I'm seeing a lot of like similar tropes from his other movies, which is making me be like, I don't know if this one will knock it out of the park. But to your point, he's made so many franchises. I'm sure that people will latch onto this one. I'm Something sure it was, about this yeah. one will be appealing. Yeah. Kev, you? Yeah, I mean, I, I I love the first saw. Sorry, Eric. That's um, okay. That's okay. But, but I can absolutely side with you on uh, any other of the saw series. movies. Yeah, <laughs> two through two saw, through nine, not so much. <laughs> haven't seen Spiral, but I'm, I'm well, sure I didn't know the like, Tobin Bell fan club would be on tonight. <laughs> but yeah, I I feel like to Ree's point that I'm starting to feel like he kind of has his genre. But is slowly inching closer towards like an M Night Shyamalan, what a twist um, sure. territory where you know old out this Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just throwing that out there. Um, yeah, I just feel like he's kind of found a bit of a comfort zone a bit. Yeah, and, that's a good and, word. Yeah, um, or a good term. Yeah, I mean, it's working for him, obviously. Like franchise after franchise, that's got to help the pocketbook. But uh, it just like. Even as a director, I would have to be bored at this point. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Like it, it does. And to Eric's point that it just looks like a, a another conjuring movie that like, um, you, this could easily fit into or insidious to um, mm-hmm. what Eric said that like, and that goes to Kev's point of just being like, okay, you'd think you'd want to maybe, and he did try to branch out obviously, but um, he's back in the, you know, maybe it's after it. I mean, Aquaman worked for him quite well. Also right? at Furious I mean, like, 7. I mean, he's, he's like, able yeah. to kind of go outside of, of that comfort zone and make sort of more, mainstream sort of films and then go back to the but it's horror just interesting thing. to go back maybe he just enjoys it i don't know like, well, just- looking at the poster and then kind of like some of the advertising or the marketing leading up to the, the poster film cool I'm well, th- that that's the there. thing like i was thinking oh is he making a jallo movie and yeah then watching the trailer it's like you no, don't really it's just kind that. of going back to <laughs> The conjuring sort of you know the j- traditional kind of jump scare where you know things are moving but looks maybe a little bit more of a slasher but like well not, that's what i'm like, talking about with the jello yeah. thing where like yeah. like the knife and sort of like that bright red looks like something yeah. that dario yeah. argento would have done right yeah yeah exactly. um but it just doesn't come across that way like it it, it like last night in soho the edgar wright movie that, like you can yeah. tell like that is him doing suspiria you know or mm-hmm. or uh the the crystal plumage you know the bird with the crystal plumage so it's like it's one of those kind of movies um yeah. where like i mean not the jello movies are like hard to make i mean it's basically literally a murder mystery with a slasher throwing somebody through a piece of art or glass yeah. and that's yeah. what a jello movie is yeah. you know or yeah. with dubbing like i don't think anybody's going to be dubbed in this so yeah um yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was kind of disappointed to think like, oh, it could be like this really kind of bright color, atmospheric film, and it just kind of looks like a yeah, taking elements of those, yeah, conjuring movie. Everyone go watch Barbarian Sound Studio and The Editor. That's what I want to throw out there. I love both of those movies. Or you could also watch um, Deep Red or Suspiria, Red, yeah. the original one, or any number of Italian uh, horror movies made from 1976 to 81 or 82. Or Malignant. um and then um blue bayou um premiered at can um just a couple days ago um caught this trailer uh i really dug this i didn't really know much about it going in i didn't even read much out of can i don't even know what the reactions were eric i don't know if you i think they were mixed i think it was mixed positive for the most part i really liked uh, the filmmaker's last movie, uh, Miss Purple, uh, which Oscilloscope released, um, I think last year, actually. Um, but this kind of screamed to me a little bit like it's almost like a Derek Cinefrance movie a little bit. Like it kind of has right. like the places beyond the pines kind of uh, blue Valentine kind of quality to it where um, that may or may not work in its advantage, but I'm curious about it, especially because it is also being released in September and obviously focus seems to have, you know, it it seems to be hedging its bets with that film. I I, I don't know if it's going to be its kind of main awards movie uh, for this year, but you know, I I definitely will give it a look. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Kevry. Yeah. I would say similar feelings. I'm interested in it. The trailer looked really really different. Like the tone I thought was going to be more in the vein of Minari. And then we got into it and I was like, well, no, it's not at all. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sold yet. There are other films that I'm more excited to see that one. I, 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 I almost am going to wait to see what the reviews are before I 
jump into it. I'm, I'm not sure why though that is. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's out of this grouping of trailers, it might be the most intriguing to me to go see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's something about it that just didn't fully click. Um, and I don't know if it's just, um, coming off Minari, having seen like a more, you know, positive spin, obviously with, you know, there being struggles and stuff along the way, yeah. just more of a positive spin on the story. This just seemed really, really dark. And I don't want to say like, uh, opportunistic to the moment, right. but it just seems like, you know, this is something that's still kind of ongoing that really hasn't had time to really digest and, and really kind of have some retrospective to it. So I think we're kind of still living through the moment that this guy went through. So it, it's tough to really, you know, have a, a full scope of what this movie is going to be about, but I don't know. It, it most intriguing on this list, but definitely to, to Reese's point, I'm going to, I'm going to let some people. Yeah. I'm surprised it didn't, get announced. For me. it didn't get announced today. Did it Eric for Tiff? No, uh, I got to no. pull up the press release and I don't know whether we'll hold that for maybe a, a little mini show since we're going long already. Cause I don't think we're going to, Oh yeah. We're already two hours. Yeah. We should maybe hold that and we'll go through quickly some little news bits, but then the tiff stuff, maybe we just do a mini, um, mini episode unless we'll get Kevin and Ree's brief thoughts on tiff, but I mean, just, uh, yeah. we just need to know what you think of Clifford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he's not big enough. Yeah. Movies are back, maybe in a big way. Um, yeah, Blue Bayou, I would say, is the most intriguing uh, as well. I'm with kind of uh, Kevin. I, I vibed with the the vibe of. Um, I vibed with the vibe. I vibed with the look of how it was shot. Like Eric mentioned, like a Derek C. and France uh, film and stuff like that. And I, I mean, out of all of these, obviously, you know, Malignant and Jackass are just kind of you know uh, popcorn kind of movies. How dare you? <laughs> and even Last Duel, to an extent, is a, you know, popcorn movie trying to be, you know, a prestige movie. Um, but yeah, Blue Bayou, um, I, I like, I love Alicia Vikander as well. Yeah. So, um, uh, definitely intrigued me the most. I mean, and Turning Red, I would say, and Kanto doesn't do much for me. Um, yeah, we're getting to the two hour mark. So, um, news. You know, there was some stuff this week. Um, Clerks 3 is uh, being picked up by Lionsgate, which is going to be made uh, <laughs> starting starting next month. So, you know, good on Kevin Smith. He what a, hip, what a hypocrite, though. Yeah. Like the yeah. guy who went to Sundance and said like, oh, I'm going to let anybody buy Red State. And then it's like, I'm going to self-finance all my movies because no studio can release one of my films the right way anymore or market them the right way. And now it's like yeah. he comes crawling back to Lionsgate. <laughs> I don't hate Kevin Smith. I like him, but um, I get where you're coming from. But um i i have no idea like i know it's very personal to him where it's like about you know it's you know like is he gonna take another photo of him crying probably in front of (laughs) some of those things are pretty cringy but um and if you guys have anything on any of these news bits just jump in and if not i'll just keep going but um the blade movie finally got a director with uh the mogul mowgli uh director basam Tariq uh directing blade uh with mahershala ali uh 
excited to see where that goes. Uh, yeah. I think it's a great choice of director and um, I, I, Blade being introduced into the MCU and Mahershala Ali, I mean, are already sort of playing an MCU character if you consider you know, Luke Cage being part of it or not, but it seems like it's not. But with multiverse stuff, who the hell knows anymore? Now, will they um, bring back Steven Dorff, though? That's that's the main <laughs> yeah. question. Let's see. With the, hey, multiverse, anything can happen, Eric. You never know. Uh, Last of Us, which we brought up a couple times, uh, cast – uh, the guy who played Tommy in the games, which is cool what they're doing with the series because uh, um, they're bringing in people from the series, sometimes playing different characters because he's not playing Tommy. Um, uh, he's playing a completely new character as well as uh, a couple other people. So Jeffrey Pierce, uh, Murray Bartlett and Con O'Neill got added to the series as they're shooting in Calgary right now, the pilot. Um, and I'm just super pumped for that. And seeing them bring in people from the game is in obviously Neil Druckmann co-writing the series with, um, uh, what's his name from, uh, uh, Craig, uh, Mason. Uh, yeah. Is co-writing it from, um, why am I blanking on everything? Chernobyl. There we go. Yes. Got it. Uh, uncut gems is in the criterion collection. That's fantastic. That's very cool. Um, super dope. And second Adam Sandler movie in the Criterion Collection after Punch Drunk Love. Uh, so you love Not to see that. Uh, no. Uh, maybe uh, I've heard rumors, Kev, but <laughs> we'll see. Well, I think uh, Happy Tom- Gilmore is due for a Criterion update. So. I love that. I love Happy <laughs> Gilmore. Um, Antonio Banderas is in Indiana Jones 5. Uh Robert Downey Jr. is going to play a, a whole ton of roles for Park Chan-wook in The Sympathizer on HBO. Um, love Park Chan-wook. Uh, love RDJ. So I'm hoping, at, you know, after f- fucking uh, Doolittle that he can kind of bounce back <laughs> and but nobody, post MCU. Nobody watched um, Park Chan-wook's Little Drummer Girl. The I have it on my queue still. Jean I bought Le it on adaptation with Florence yeah. Pugh, which you think a lot of people would be going back to now because of Florence Pugh kind of becoming this like, superstar. Yeah. So yeah. I thought you were going to say no one watched Doolittle, so he's okay. No, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, well, <laughs> nobody <laughs> did watch Doolittle, <laughs> you know, other than press. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Remember there's a dragon's butthole in yeah. that well, I mean, it's dragon fart, you know, instead of dragon heart. So what a movie, what a movie. Uh, Amazon cancels their tiger King, uh, show that they had in development with Nicholas cage. Um, (laughs) I think there's another Amazon. I mean, someone else is making a tiger King. I think it's it's peacock Uh, because it's uh, it's John Cameron Mitchell and Kate McKinnon. Yeah. So I think that's probably why, because having both of those dueling tiger Kings, (laughs) I just, don't think we needed that. And it would have been like amazing tig- if it was a Tiger King universe. Yeah. And I also think like, sorry, go. No, Rick. I was just going to say Nick Cage. I, I just, I was really excited to see that performance from Nick Cage. I think it would have been a blast, yeah. but I also feel like Tiger King had its time uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. And I'm like, is anyone going, you know what? Yeah. I need a narrative retelling of this now. I just feel like Tiger King was such a, you know, lightning in a bottle at that time that every, and I don't even think Tiger King is that good. Um, It sucks kind of, but like it's, it was sort of entertaining and then it went on for way too long. And I was just like, I don't really care about this anymore. And, um, but it was lightning in a bottle and that's why they greenlit all these series. So now I can see Amazon going, are people really even going to care about this when this eventually comes out in 2022? And uh, like, and they're, competing with that you know peacock version so 
Um, the answer is clearly no. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, finally, other than the TIFF stuff, uh, WandaVision's Matt Shankman uh, is going to direct the next Star Trek movie. And I put OK in big letters because I feel like 800 people have been announced to direct a Star Trek movie since mm-hmm. uh, they tried. They made the third one. Like, I feel like every couple months we get a new person announced to make a Star Trek movie and it just never kind of you know, comes to fruition. So, and I, I love the, you know, Abrams verse of Star Trek, those three movies, they were a lot of fun, even yeah. though, you know, into darkness and beyond are, um, a little, um, you know, kind of wonky, but like, I still kind of enjoyed that trilogy as a whole, but, um, I don't know whether this is going to be with a completely new cast or if it's bringing back those people. So I don't know. Uh, Emmy nominations. I just wanted to give a shout out to Cobra Kai getting an Emmy nomination because that's fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I don't know if there's anyone on the Emmys anyone else wanted to shout out, but the other funny one was Don Cheadle getting a nomination for Falcon and the Winter Soldier when he is literally in one scene. Oh <laughs> it was my just God. Like, 98 seconds. 98 seconds. He says like two lines of dialogue and they gave him a best uh, guest actor nomination. And I'm like, all right, guys, let's chill. I liked the Marvel shows, but like, well, they knew Space um, Jam and New Legacy was coming, so they were like, "We got to get on the ball on this one and and be there first. So, yeah. Um, and then finally, there was a big TIFF announcement today uh, for their galas and special presentations. Um, I think Eric and I will probably do because we go way too deep into TIFF, so we'll be here for another hour if we really kind of go into it. But Kevin Ree, um getting uh, you have you guys gone to tiff before like have you seen anything at the festival no and like last year because i mentioned we started this movie watching um like really in depth pre-pandemic i was thinking oh 2020 will be the year obviously not um so i i'd look into it for this year but i expect because it'll probably be reduced capacity like people who don't aren't in with the crowd or not there to cover it. I don't think it'll be viable for us to get seats, but if we can, I never know Yeah, if if we can, if I can swing it somehow, I I'd be open to going to see anything. I wouldn't be picky. Oh, I can't wait. I want you guys to, uh, I'll try to help you guys out too. You need to experience dear Evan Hansen, uh, in the festival (laughs) setting. (laughs) Opening night, maybe the The world's oldest teenager. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, it is just like, cause it's our favorite time of the year and, uh, you know, this will be, you know, uh, longer than that, but over a decade for me now, I think 2009 or eight was my first TIFF and like, it's literally like, it's my Christmas every year. Like my year starts and ends with TIFF and, um, just seeing something, it'll be a little different this year, obviously with the distance and, and, and stuff like that, but sitting at the princes of Wales or one of those like iconic theaters and just seeing it with like th- a thousand people people or 3000 when it's packed or whatever um it there's nothing quite like it and it's just uh, for a movie fan getting like the best projection the best sound you could possibly get because you're not going to fucking cineplex and with you know some teenager (laughs) teenager running it that they don't care um the worst worst yeah uh well during tiff if you see you know as many as we do it's um you just eat M&Ms the whole time, but um, it's so much fun. So, and they're doing the digital thing again this year too. So I think everything they announced 
uh, in this program, it, but there's certain movies that won't play digitally. And I know it's not the same experience. It's just like renting a movie on iTunes or something like that. But Eric and I did that last year and still had a, a pretty good time. But like they said, things like Dear Evan Hansen, and I think Last Night in Soho and, and stuff like that will be on the digital platform. I don't know Soho for sure, but they did say Dear Evan Hansen. But Fantastic. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll quickly run through the movies and we won't necessarily talk about them in detail, but just see if there's anything off the top of our heads that we're pumped for. So we have Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, uh, Walt Becker's Clifford, the big red dog. Uh, (laughs) These are the gala presentations. The opening night film is uh, uh, Stephen Chbosky's Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, We got uh, Will Sharp's The Electrical Life of Louis uh, Vane or Wayne uh, Jagged, which is the Alanis Morissette uh, movie, right? Um, last night in Soho, Edgar Wright's last night in Soho, uh, the mad, the mad woman's ball night Raiders, uh, uh, one second, uh, the survivor, and then going into special presentations, we have Ali and Ava, all my puny sorrows, uh, benediction, uh, not benedetta, um, uh, Bergman Island, uh, the Mia Hansen love movie, Charlotte, uh, Dion Warwick, Don't Make Me Over, Drive My Car, Encounter, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, uh, The Guilty, uh, I'm Your Man. Uh, it, oh God, why I can't read. In, uh, inexorable? Inexorable? Is that how you say that word? I don't know. <laughs> um, Lakewood, The Middleman, Official Competition, uh, Paris 13th District, uh, Petite Maman, uh, the Starling, uh, the story of my uh, wife, Three Floors, Violet, and the worst person in the world. Um, like I said, Eric and I will probably do a TIFF Talk mini podcast uh, going into detail. But anything, uh, Kevin and Riel, uh, that you guys want to maybe try to seek out during the festival out of that first lineup of movies? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, Last Night in Soho would be our yeah. biggest draw. Um, yeah. But Eyes of Tammy Faye, I'm kind of interested in. I think I'm just drawn to the story more than anything. Right. Um, it's about an televangelical woman who kind of makes this empire. Um, look, it looks pretty interesting. I, I'm not a big fan of Andrew Garfield, though. So we'll, we'll see kind of what it looks like. How about you? Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to Knight Raiders. I think that's my, from the what's been released so far, that's definitely my on top of my list. Hell Yeah. Um, and that played Berlin too, and it got pretty good reviews. Yeah. So, oh yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, good to hear. Yeah, I'm I'm pumped in general. Like, um, again, uh, there's more to come. This is just uh, the first batch of galas and special presentations. So we still have Midnight Madness and some of the other programs, and they'll add some more movies to special presentations and galas but um obviously clifford being the uh, the big one of being like i joked about it a couple weeks ago on twitter uh when the clifford trailer when the yeah that's what people are saying they're like you manifested this you ass um i mean whatever they always have a not always but there is a family film that plays every once in a while like they had sing a couple years back the mm-hmm. illumination movie um and things like that so i I'm, there's nothing wrong with it i just thought it was hilarious after seeing the clifford trailer and joking that it would play tiff that it ended up coming true uh and playing and then the dear evan hansen thing which i think that trailer looks awful yeah um yeah and it Yikes. whether it's going to continue the streak of of tiff just having horrible opening night movies uh um, will it be as good as uh score a hockey musical 
We'll find out. We'll see. And I know like my sister who's, you know, we talked about musicals on the show um, earlier and she's big into, you know, theater and she works in, in that industry and has been in many of these shows. And she's like, Dear Evan Hansen is like a legitimately good musical. Uh, but she watched that trailer too. And she's just like, I understand why you're laughing at this. This does not work. I mean, again, yeah, with Ben Platt looking like a 40 year old man, um, it's Lucas Black uh, like, and uh, Fast and Tokyo Furious Drift. Tokyo Drift as a teenager looks so old. Yeah, so um, I don't know. Tiff is they. I get why they program some of these movies, and uh, we've talked about it. And I'm I'm always on board of being like, yeah, you have to kind of what we kind of to bring this whole podcast full circle is kind of like have some of that populist stuff that kind of you know, we'll draw people in the seats, but then you also have art house stuff. You have foreign stuff. You have those kind of festival movies, but then you also have Clifford and even last night in Soho, which kind of blends the line of, of both with Edgar Wright, you know, being an auteur, but still a populist filmmaker, but well, especially um, this year too, right? Yeah. Like the idea of bringing people back to the theater and trying to be accommodating to uh, as many people as possible. You want to, I mean, Tiff needs to still make a profit and they still need to sort of, you know, maintain the idea that this is an in-person festival when it can be. And so, you know, to have something like Clifford, the big red dog, like, yeah, it's great for kids. It's great for families. They can go and see this movie. It's going to draw in people that may be not interested in, you know, some of the art house films, but at least it'll help Tiff in the long run. So I guess you can't knock them for trying to just, you know, make a little bit of money off of that because again, you know, the last year or so everybody, including, you know, the festival circuit has been hit hard. So, you know, why not? Yeah. I mean, no, if I'm, Venom I'm, plays, I mean, maybe that that'll change my mind, but yeah. it's like, you know, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, be carnage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, Perfect ending spot. Uh, Kev, Ree, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I had a blast talking to you guys. I could do this for another four hours, but we're recording this uh, kind of late on a, a Tuesday night, so I will let you guys go to bed or watch another movie before bed. Just think, bed, you could have been watching a do. movie instead of um, recording this. Talk oh, no, with, no, with no, these honestly, two schmucks. It's, it's amazing to talk to people who love cinema as much as we do, because hey, we you guys... love each other, but I'm sick of him already. Yeah, yeah exactly. and, I'm, and I'm sick of Eric, so <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all good. Always hate. Um, Non-saw. You guys are welcome back anytime. It's just literally just us talking nonsense uh, every other week. Um, so please go check out Kevin and Ree's uh, article over on Eclectish, um, which is uh, uh, I have to return some videotapes every month. Uh, they do a roundup of everything they've been watching that previous month, uh, what you guys should be watching, what you guys should probably skip. Um, it, it's great. It's funny. It's, uh, you know, uh, I, I I love what you guys are doing over there and I'm so glad to have you guys on and, and talk movies and you guys are welcome back any time. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, if you guys stuck around for, uh, you know, this long, uh, I think you might like our other shows. Uh, we have another show called untitled movie reviews where each week, Eric and I multiple times a week review all the new release movies that are coming, uh, now to theaters again, which is great, uh, as well as what's on streaming services and what you can rent at home. So, uh, we have a, uh, buttload of new movie reviews out right now as I pull it up because I'm never going to remember what the hell we've posted um right now you guys can check out our reviews for escape room tournament of champions which features that wild story about uh returning to the cinemas uh so uh go listen to that 
uh f9 uh we were finally able to go see cinema is back truly uh and jacob toretto did return at money in the bank on sunday so uh good to see that john cena's back uh quiet place part two which we talked about on this show but if you guys want to check out our detailed thoughts over there um we also mentioned pig earlier on the show which is the best nicholas cage performance uh in a long ass time in a long ass time it's so good uh so go check out pig um as well as space jam a new legacy which is the best lebron performance since train wreck um it's the only and, one yeah <laughs> i know i know believe me i know uh and then as well as the fear street trilogy which is now streaming on netflix we have reviews up for all three of those films so uh, tons of reviews over on that channel. Um, over on Untitled Movie Conversations, we had a great chat with um, the folks at Phantom City Creative. Uh, we talked about movie posters and their creative process and things like that. So go check that out as well. Um, and Eric and I will be back for a little mini TIFF talk episode. Um, uh, that way we can just kind of focus on uh, on just tiff talk because we had so much fun talking to kevin reed just about what they've been watching so um and we're going a little bit long and i know you know i don't want to stay up until fucking three in the morning talking tiff so we'll see uh, about that um once again guys thank you so much uh where can uh, do you guys want to plug anything kev your your re i don't think you're on many socials anymore right or no 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 i'm no, not it's okay um, if, um, if you're on letterboxd I'm on, there you go letterboxd. Yeah, letterboxd check this out i'm re re 19 kevin um, is the kevin mcguire not hard to find uh, you can also find it through our uh, the article on eclectish we kind of post yeah. everything there Just and i'll, I'll drop those links fans. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll drop those links in the uh, description uh, for this show, both through the article on on the site as well as your letterbox. Uh, speaking of letterbox, thank you guys. You uh, uh, you guys can check out our letterbox HQ, uh, which is Untitled Podcast over there, which has all of our ratings, uh, our lists for franchises, um, you know, all of our shows and podcasts. Um, basically your one-stop shop for everything that Eric and I do over here, uh, over on letterbox. Thank you to, uh, everyone who's followed over there as Georgie, my sister's cat jumped up and is distracting me. Um, you can follow us on all those other social medias at untitled underscore cast. Uh, please drop us a review. If you guys would be so kind, we really, really appreciate it. And, uh, as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitled movie And you can follow me on all of those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. I have to return some videotapes. Hey.